Heads up. This episode, John and Perry bust on celebrity cameos, movie trailer pet peeves, and a missing mustache. We ain't afraid of no ghosts on Here's Why It's Great. Welcome to Here's Why It's Great, My Dudes and Dudettes. It is me, John Bring. I am back with another episode of the podcast that takes what you hate and tells you why it's great. And last episode, I had one of the hosts, one half of the host for the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole ref and show, Darren Beasley. We talked for a very long time about Super Mario Brothers, and one good turn deserves another. I got one half of the whole ref and show crew last time. This time, I got the other half right in front of me. Welcome to the show, my cousin, slash roommate, slash friend, Perry Smith. In that order, too, yes. Yes. Uh. <laughs> we're, we're not roommates anymore. You don't randomly live with me and Lindsay in our apartment. No, that'd be you? great. That'd be, that'd be great if I did that. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I've uh, obviously been a fan since its inception. Here we are, 26 episodes in, and finally you make the time to have me, even though I've got a pretty impressive resume of you know, former roommate... Current cousin, right, uh, and also current friend, but uh, current friend—that's arguable. That's arguable. Yeah, yeah, we don't even talk anymore. No, uh, we we don't. <laughs> but uh, obviously, I've known you your entire life. Uh, you're a couple years younger than me, but you're the other brother that I never had. Aww. Our families would get together and go to Disney World on vacation every summer. We would always come and visit your family, and eventually, your family moved to Valdosta. Yeah, I, uh, you would, you and your family would always come down and uh, like take me and my sister Samantha uh, with you to like vacation, like you know, to to Disney. Because you say our families went, but that's not necessarily true because my parents did not. They that, were like, that's true. Take the kids, God. Yeah, you go have fun. So I always thought it was great. I mean, I always liked you guys anyway because you were family and we had fun together. But like seeing you guys meant like, oh, where are we going? You know, we're going to Disney. Where are we going? Yeah. Um, and I would obviously, speaking of dropping me off and kind of having me out of the way, they would literally drop me off at your house, you know, in Valdosta for the entire summer. Yeah. I would spend my entire summers in Valdosta, Georgia at your house. And you had a huge house, especially compared to mine. At the time, my family was not in the pawnbroking business, but your uh, parents owned a pawn shop, so you had like all the latest video games. Right. So I'd come to your place for the summer, and you have all the latest video games and systems, and I thought like, oh my god, he must be rich. Like, I was convinced you were rich. No, man. It was all secondhand shit. I mean, my parents were well off. I commonly refer to myself as like upper middle class. Sure. At least growing up. But back then, (laughs) no, we it did seem like... A wonderland. It was basically Willy Wonka's chocolate factory whenever you came over. Absolutely, yeah. I, I had a lot of toys. I was very spoiled growing up. Obviously, all the technology came from the pawn shop, but I pretty much got whatever I wanted otherwise. So I had all the Turtles figures. I had uh, oh, Transformers, G.I. Joe, whatever we could get our hands on. And man, we got our hands on a lot of stuff, and we got up to a lot of business. Yeah, if I was around, if they brought you stuff, they felt like they had to bring me stuff also. <laughs> Because otherwise I'd feel bad. So it was like, oh man, like visiting you is like Christmas. And so eventually, like I said, your family would move to Valdosta. And at that point, we, uh, all, if you go back and listen to the last episode, you hear a lot about the movies we made. Uh, we did, you know, wrestling together. We did basically everything together. You were just like a part of the crew 
Sure, sure. Uh, and that, that might confuse a lot of people because it's me and Darren with the podcast, the whole Ref and Show podcast, the only wrestling podcast calls it right down the middle. Uh, so I've heard. But no, like John and Darren are like the actual best, 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 best friends. I mean, Darren and I are best, best, best friends. But before there was Darren and I, it was obviously John and Darren. So how you guys don't have a wrestling podcast, I don't know what we do. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, so you guys were already super best friends, and I, like I said, I'd get dropped off during the summer, and I just kind of got, like, thrown in, mixed in, and it's like, what are we doing? We're doing wacky shit. Oh, great, I want to do wacky shit with you. So, that's kind of what happened, but as we grew up, our interests grew up. That's debatable. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but no, we made, like, we got, like, cameras, cameras started getting better, we started making movies, we started emulating TV shows and yeah. movies that we enjoyed. And you, you, you went into all of that in the last episode, but I'm here to say, yes, that's accurate. Yeah, and I'm not gonna give myself credit or pat myself on the back, but I want to say that all of our movies and, and uh, audio dramas and everything that we did creatively may have led to your current career, which is an actor. I, I do act occasionally, yes. Uh, it's been a while because I haven't really uh, tried. Uh, but I have done some stuff in the past. I've been in some commercials. Give uh, yourself credit. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've... You've been in big, like, Yahoo ads. You've been in big uh, Carl's Jr. slash Hardy's ads. Sure, sure. Famously, <laughs> famously, yes, the biscuit commercial, which I get uh, asked about every now and again. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I will say... What was the line? Anybody want some biscuits? Yeah. Hey, guys, who wants some biscuits, I believe was the That's line. your version of uh, Adam Scott's Are We Having Fun no, Yet? No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that is completely From party true. down, obviously. I, I've, I've had a degree of success. And I, I will say, for the amount of effort I put into my acting career, I've gotten a lot more out of it uh, than I have any right to have. So, yeah, but yeah, some commercials, uh, appearances on Conan O'Brien's show, uh, his TBS show, Conan. Um, so I've, I've, I've done some fun stuff. Also, a lot of Funny or Die uh, content where I've worked with some really great, uh, really great actors and uh, people you haven't heard of that all of a sudden are now famous. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of weird. But anywho, uh, so yeah, I've done some acting and uh, we'll get back into that eventually. Currently, though, the podcast with Darren Beasley, my co-host... Uh, is going on, going strong. We're in a, we're somewhere in the hundred and thirties episode wise. Thirteen four, something like that. 13, yeah, one hundred thirty four is what uh, you guys called it. Thirteen four on the latest episode. Right, right. So yeah, thirteen four. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll be up to thirteen five or six by the time this comes out. But, right, right. But uh, yeah, no, your podcast is excellent. Honestly, uh, I think I mentioned it in the last episode, but it is a huge inspiration for this podcast. Aww. I listened to that, and I always wanted to be part of the conversation. Not so much like a, I could do that too situation, but just like I loved listening to you guys so much, even about professional wrestling, which I am a huge fan of and, a, and I have a lot of love for. But honestly, over the years, my attention has gone elsewhere in terms of like what I watch and what I pay attention to week to week. But I mean, hell, you guys got me back into wrestling. Now I'm much more invested in it than I have been in the last couple of decades. And ultimately, I I aped a lot of your guys' stuff on my podcast. The, <laughs> the little stingers at the end, I definitely stole from you. Right. Uh, a lot of the a lot of my transitions into the the end. The what did you guys think? I definitely stole that from you. So anyway, I said this all to Darren, but I'm also saying it to you. Great job on the whole Ref and Show. It's a great podcast. Even if you don't listen to wrestling, it's listening to two lifelong friends. Talk about, most of the time, anything but wrestling. And it's really entertaining, really fun to listen to you guys. It's a great podcast. I highly recommend it. But let's get to the subject at hand, shall we? Well, quickly, I'll say uh, thank you for all the kind words. Uh, and uh, yeah, I do encourage anyone uh, who enjoys this conversation, well, first of all, keep listening to this show because it is great. So oh, hey, to thanks. Pat you on the back. I, I feel the same way when I listen to your show, where it's like I want to be in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned to you before, 
before we recorded this, we went. You you were nice enough to buy me Chipotle for my my well, drive what? all the way across Burbank to get over here. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which I really appreciate. <laughs> But you and Darren talked about the comic book character Forearm. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was there going, oh my god. If only you could be, because you were the one that actually owned the, the forearm, forearm toy, toy. first yeah, out yeah. of us. I think we all eventually ended up owning it. Yeah. But I remember you getting that and me being crazy <laughs> jealous. Because as you mentioned, I usually had the toys first. And it wasn't like, right, a, right. I wasn't a brat about it. I wasn't like stomping my feet about it. But I was like, oh man, I'm, I fucking want that forearm toy, bruh. Well, I, I was a brat about it. Because I, if I had something you did not have, I'd be like, I'd like parade it around like, oh, what's this? I've got this <laughs> and you don't have that. But no, uh, so so when it comes to you talking about like you, a conversation you wish you can be involved in, you want to comment in. I totally get that same vibe from the show. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thanks, man. So we're talking about something very near and dear to both of our hearts, but specifically your heart today, a subject that is, uh, you know, up for some debate. I think this is a movie that when it came out was really derided. People really didn't like it. It landed with a thud instead of the being exalted like the original. And I think time has been kind to it. Maybe you would disagree with me, but we're talking about Ghostbusters 2, which let me just say, uh, I love this movie. I think it's great. Obviously, I'm we're covering it on the show, so obviously I think it's great. But I don't get the hate for this movie. Ghostbusters 1 is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, really? Easily. 2 is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 3 is at, at current adaptation. We talked about that on the uh, on the podcast. Oh, right, right, right. 1 is undisputed Ghostbusters. Okay. I, I could write a... a college thesis on why Ghostbusters is the greatest movie of all time. It's a wonderful movie. It's great. Because people hold Ghostbusters 1 in such high regard, having a sequel is instantly problematic because it has to be as good or better, I guess is the idea of a sequel. Yeah. I guess the idea of a sequel doesn't make money. It's supposed to be... Right, exactly. Right, right. Above all. Sequels are always a financial thing. It's never going to be like, oh god, we... Got to tell this story about where Vinkman is now. It's like, no. Exactly. You just want to make a buck. Right, right, right. So when it comes to Ghostbusters 2, I don't know where it ranks in my top movies. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter what you rank something. It's your own personal, you know, ranking system. But um, I love it. It's, it's a continuation of those characters that I love. And basically, they're they're all back in this movie. Hell yeah. Um, Everybody is. And, is. and, you know, Ghostbusters 1 is a quoting machine. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters 2 is also a quoting machine. I'm telling you, we we refused to talk about it at our lunch because we wanted to save everything for the podcast. Right. But the one thing I did say, I texted you yesterday, was that, Jesus Christ, I say so much shit from this movie. Right. And I, I feel like I knew that subconsciously, but watching it again recently, I was like, damn. Like, every character pretty much has a line that I say on the regular. Right. And uh, and watching the special features, I found a new line that I'm going to say on the regular. <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. We'll but, get to that, yeah. but yeah, when this movie came out, like I said, it was really not loved by critics. I mean, it currently has a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I feel like that actually... Well, actually makes sense. Yeah. Because it's half people love it, half people hate exactly. it. Exactly. Right. And it has a 6.5 rating out of 10 on IMDb and a 56 on Metacritic, which really does say like right down the middle. Sure. Much like the whole ref and show, well, the only so wrestling I, podcast that calls it right down the middle. <laughs> I know a thing or two about calling it down the middle. <laughs> I feel like I know why people didn't like it when it came out. We can get into it. I feel like it's a bit of a rehash. A lot of elements are 
recycled for oh, this. The third act is basically the the, the third act of Ghostbusters yeah. 1 all over again, which we can get into that as well. The overall structure of the entire movie is kind of a rehash of the original Ghostbusters. We could get into it. If you watch the honest trailer for Ghostbusters 2, they, they put it very succinctly. They put all the beats side by side, and it really does line up very specifically to one or the other. Janos being the, the character that really spices things up and makes things a little bit different. Mm. But I'm okay with it. I think, it's, I think it's a really fun movie, and I don't give a fuck if it rings a little similar to the original. It's great to see these characters. You can't steal from yourself. Is what I will say. It's not like they took the structure of like Gone with the Wind and went, we'll just do that beat by beat by beat. So if you're stealing from from another installment of the series, is it really is it really stealing? Yeah, J.J. Abrams just did it with The Force Awakens. Well, there you go. And people forget that Ghostbusters is a comedy. You know, I know. All it has to really do is be funny. All, all a movie really owes you is that it's entertaining. That yeah. you got quote your money's worth, which now movies are like fifteen bucks, so it better be pretty fucking good. Yeah, no shit. Um, better be in game every time I step through the, the theater <laughs> doors, man. Oh, well, that that bar. That's a that's a high bar. <laughs> that's a high bar. Um, so no, I, I realize that people have an issue with uh, with Ghostbusters two, especially, and I think the two worst things to happen to Ghostbusters two. One is Ghostbusters 1, yeah, uh, which is just this absurdly good movie where you have Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Hilda Ramis and Rick Moranis like all in their prime, yeah. top of their game, an idea that has never been explored before. Um, this comedy is hilarious. The, the, the horror aspects are terrifying. Yeah. The special effects are a brand new benchmark of ILM yeah. special effects. Like what Jurassic Park was... For special effects at that time. That's what Ghostbusters was at that time. Yeah. As far as like, now we can do this with special effects? Now we can do this? I like, know. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And that you're definitely speaking my language with that Jurassic Park because uh, that's my favorite movie of all time. And uh, Really? You didn't know that? We're learning things about each other and we're blood for God's yeah. sake. But no, uh, so the worst things that happened to uh, Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters 1 being the, the blockbuster movie that it was. And also the real Ghostbusters cartoon yeah. at this time is going on. So they had to kind of tone it down. And it's very noticeable. You know, in the first one, they're smoking. Yeah. And they're drinking. And, you know. They're cursing. And, yeah, and it's this one, all just darker. And this one, that's not that at all. So th- there are differences there. Also, it just seems, I mean, the 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 composition of the film is also brighter. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think uh, basically everybody came back. Obviously, all of our favorite actors came back. Ivan Reitman came back. Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd wrote the script again. However, different cinematographers each time, and you can really tell the difference. However, this guy, despite the fact that it is way brighter and really clean and a little too simple, it's shot in a very straightforward manner, which I think is fine. There's not a lot of bells and whistles to it. This isn't a Spielberg movie. It's a Ghostbusters movie, and it is a comedy which begs for being a little bit more just standard. Uh, but I do miss some of the grittiness of that first movie. The look of that has the old New York style. Uh, ironically, because the guy who shot this movie, who shot Ghostbusters 2, also shot Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, among many other classics. Sure. So it's crazy that that guy 
turned him the uh, the brighter version of Ghostbusters. But what can you do? I mean, it's he has to deliver a director's vision. No one would look at Ghostbusters two and say that is a very well directed movie because it does yeah. seem very like okay, are my are my actors in frame? Is is everything in focus? Okay, yeah. go. It does seem very like, and now there's this scene, and now there's this scene, and not like oh, yeah. there's this cool shot, and you see over the shoulder the staple marshmallow man's walking. Right. It's not that. So it is. It is very simple as far as like the the, the imagery goes. I guess they were like, well, there will be ghosts, and that'll be enough to look at. Yeah. Uh, there'll be proton packs. Uh, but when so much of the movie is set in Peter Vinkman's apartment, it, it does get a little dry here and there. It does, it does. And like you kind of hinted at a second ago, like the first Ghostbusters, you get the grittiness, the darkness, and like like the, the cooler, if I could use that, uh, like side of like the 80s. Yeah, no, I'm talking scary New York. And exactly, and this is the the latter half of the '80s where everyone's just wearing clothes that just do not look good anymore. Yeah, you know, Peter's got like these like button-up collar shirts tucked into a sweater. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable to yeah. watch that. Which, which definitely the, of the time, it was the style. I oh, remember sure. my no, dad wearing shit. Yeah, like I'm, that I'm back not, in the day. I'm not knocking that at all. I totally understand what's going on, but it's kind of like, oh no, it's just, it, it's just the uninteresting end of the yeah. '80s. Shockingly, the only person that actually made it through costume-wise, completely unscathed, was Dana. Which is surprising. Sigourney Weaver looks amazing in this movie. And it's surprising because I feel like women's fashion around 88, 89 was awful. And somehow she got out of this without like any bright prints, any shoulder pads. I thought she actually looked phenomenal throughout the entire thing. The other thing I was going to mention that's working against this movie is the five-year gap, which uh, we can just go ahead and get in the movie. Speaking of Endgame. Yeah, speaking of Endgame, uh, it, starts, it starts with the title card that says five years later. I guess it had to let us know that we're not just jumping in right after the end of the last movie. I remember being in the theater and seeing that and being like, oh, shit, it is the real amount of time because it had been five years in real life. Because after uh, Ghostbusters came out, whoever was the head of Columbia Pictures talked shit about it. I guess he wanted to do more, like, substantial movies and, like, bucked against, like, the blockbusters of the time. And and that didn't sit well with Reitman or any or Aykroyd or Murray. So they all said, fuck off. We're not going to make your sequel. And it wasn't until there was a new head of Columbia that came in and she sat down with him and, and said, like, hey, no. Ghostbusters 2 is our top priority. We want to do this movie. We're going to make it happen and basically smooth things over with the boys. So that's why it took a little bit of time. And I think that time worked against it because even though Ghostbusters was such a massive hit, I think maybe some of that Ghostbusters fever had cooled down a little bit. Which, the fact that Ghostbusters is still a thing now, I mean, obviously things like, you know, Star Wars or... Transformers. Well, massive franchises, you know, that have constant movies coming out right. you know, every few years. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Are going to, you know, withstand the test of time and, and yeah. endure forever. But that was just a movie. That, that could have just been one movie. You mean the original Ghostbusters? The original Ghostbusters. Yeah, precisely. absolutely. And that's it. But people are still wearing the shirts and quoting it constantly. It's this absurdly huge cult hit. I mean, it, had, I mean, it, had, it was a huge hit. But it has this cult diehard following, of which I guess I'm a, I'm a part of. Oh, and me too. Sure. Um, so it's kind of funny to think that they just made this movie and didn't know what it was going to really do. I, I'm pretty sure that was it this one that Bill Murray only said yes to if they'd let him go and direct and uh, and be and, in that series Razor's movie. Edge. Yeah, yeah, Razor's Edge. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we're not even really talking about with Ghostbusters. This could easily be a six-hour episode. I, I could destroy... Your previous record with, with my good friend slash co-host slash former roommate also, Darren yeah. Beasley, if I went into all the Ghostbusters stuff, 
that I know, which is just a stupid amount of stuff. Sprinkle it in, man. I like don't hold back anything. Well, the Ghostbusters franchise, like a movie, can't be made until like five people all say yes. Right. You know, one is Sony, one is Bill Murray, one is Ed Ackroyd, one is Harold Ramis. Was R.I.P. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman. They all have to agree to stuff. You know, for a long time they were agreeing to stuff, but Bill Murray was saying, "No, I'm not doing right. that," which is the holdup. And People give Bill Murray shit because there wasn't a Ghostbusters 3 a long time ago, but people, like we talked about, didn't like Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. And he said, then why would I make a third one? Yeah. He he was an actor with integrity, and people are like mad. Like, no, just go make something, which, you know, I would have loved Ghostbusters 3. To me, Ghostbusters 3 is Ghostbusters the video game. Oh, absolutely. If you play 100%. that... It is written, it is a video game, yes, but it's got all their voices, all their real voices. It's all looks like them. It's written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, yeah. and it ties one and two together beautifully. Yeah. Um, go play the game, or at least go watch I've the... I played the game back when it came out, and I'm definitely they're re-releasing it. They're, oh, I know. As is, much like Hollywood, like all game companies are just remaking old games and making and like putting a spit shine on them and putting them back out, and God damn it, if I don't buy it every time, I will buy a PlayStation 5 for Final Fantasy VII <laughs> Remake, and they're apparently, my brother just told me they're turning it into a whole trilogy instead of just one game. Man. I'm going to spend money on that, because... Final Fantasy VII was one of those experiences in my youth that I'll never forget. It's one of my favorite games from my youth. So, sure. hell yeah, I'm going to spend money on that. Uh, and also, hell yeah, I'm going to buy this remake of the Ghostbusters video game just so I can finally watch the scenes because every time I got to a cutscene, which is the only reason anybody should play that game... You'd hit a button. It, I'd hit a button by accident. <laughs> I'd, I'd Even like one time I tried to set down the controller and like my thumb accidentally pressed the joystick, and even the joystick cut through the scene. So I feel like I didn't see any of the actual cutscenes except for maybe like the first one. Well, luckily you can go into the options and watch all the cutscenes. So. Oh, God damn it! I just, didn't realize that. Just so you know, to me the big problem with the game was... Uh, <laughs> we'll make this quick, folks. I'm sorry. Um, the big problem with the game for me was, one, the... Uh, uh, the audio editing was horrible. You can't hear half the dialogue because the music's too loud. Hopefully they fix all that. I'm sure the game will look amazing. But also, you play through the game through the view of the rookie. I don't know why they didn't do it to where you could edit the look of the rookie. Yeah. And make it yourself. And you put your last name on your little name tag. Yeah. I feel like that would not be hard to do. They can still call you rookie the entire game. Yeah. But you would at least look like you. That would be tight. As it is, you, you're just this this white guy with a shaved head. And, and no, he which, just had like which, what short, like kind of dumpy white guy with short, kind of like Dan Aykroyd. No but, shaved head, like I mean, oh, he had a shaved head too. You look like you're you're this modified create a player human basically. exactly you look like a very basic untouched default player oh player. yeah yeah well that's lame um, maybe that'll be an option in the new one that'd be great and, and just that little simple thing you know Smith on my. On my, my flight suit. I mean, yeah, that would be just like a dream. Exactly, yeah. I wish I had a cooler last name. But also, no. give people who aren't white a chance to immerse sure, themselves a little sure. bit no, further. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of like making the experience more you know immersive, like you're actually there. To me, that was the big thing immediately. Like, why why don't why doesn't my guy look like me? Yeah. Like, how hard could that have been? Anywho, um, but it's a great game. Go play it. And it, like I said, it ties one and two together. Let's talk about two here. Yes. Uh, five years later. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, you do you not like the five-year gap, you said? Oh, no, no. I didn't mind it. I just remember being in the theater, being surprised by it. Much in the same way as I was surprised when it said five years later during Endgame at my first viewing. No, no, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because watching Endgame and it said five years later, for the first time ever, maybe because I'm older now, I'm in, in my mid-ish mid, mid to late-ish uh, <laughs> 30s, you realize how long five years is. Yeah. 
Because I was like, man, what was I doing five years ago? My life was totally different five years ago. A lot of shit changes in five years. So all of a sudden, I mean, obviously that was the literal time it took between one coming out and two coming out. So five years later, whatever, we just accept it's five years later. Everyone is five years older. They would be, naturally. Yeah. But for some reason, when you see it in a movie, it's like, man, five wow, years. Wow, shit's for, gone exactly. down. And to me, this movie has like one of the most brilliant like first 20 minutes where it catches you up on what happened immediately after Ghostbusters, you know, what everyone's up to now. And it makes total sense what everyone's doing now. To me, that is brilliant. Exposition and foreshadowing are fantastic in this, in the first act. Yes. Cause there's a lot of like even Kevin Dunn showing up on, I'm jumping ahead, but when we eventually catch up with Vinkman, He's hosting a, I guess, cable access show or some sort of low-rent psychic show. Kevin Dunn, uh, most recently in Veep. He's been in everything ever. He's literally been in everything ever. Yeah, he's he's great. But he says that it'll uh, the world's going to end at midnight on New Year's Eve. Right. And, of course, Vinkman being Vinkman just writes it off. But to us, if you're paying attention... That really... That uh, is. Yeah, that's something you don't uh, you don't pick up on when you're a kid. That that's foreshadowing. Right. Another thing I picked up on, having seen this movie a bunch of times and I guess not paid attention enough, was when Egon's doing his lab experiment. His experiment is all about emotions manifesting themselves in the physical world. I, for some reason, always glossed over that line as Egon gobbledygook. And I was like, oh, wait, that's what the entire movie is about. Yeah, yeah. So we'll say this a little chronologically, if we will. So five years have passed. It, it opens up on, on Dana pushing her, her, her child, her little baby, Oscar, uh, in, a, in a, a carriage. And it se- things seem pretty normal for New York. It is foreshadowing here also. Yeah, I thought you this s- was great. Yeah, you, you see Pete. She's kind of like going about her day, going through the, the sidewalk. And there are P- New Yorkers just mad at each other, yelling at each other. Yeah, there's a guy who's arguing about a ticket. Right. There's a lady on crutches and some asshole. Just like just gets bumped into Yeah, who like shoulder checks her. <laughs> right. And she's like, hey, I'm walking here. So this, I mean, the more we talk about it, the more I think this might be the most, uh, the most foreshadowing movie that's ever been made. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Dana goes to her apartment apartment complex and her her landlord's outside and they're talking about you know fixing the radiator i think in a in oscar's room her her child uh and the carriage just starts going on its own right um and it just kind of launches itself into into traffic she's chasing after it and eventually it just stops before it hit before a bus hits it mm-hmm. which i guess the ghost had it and wanted to take it somewhere maybe we don't know at this point it probably isn't vigo we don't know that yet yeah um but obviously the ghost is like, no, the bus will kill it. I got to stop. Right. <laughs> so it just stops short of a bus. And that's your setup. And this paranormal shit has happened to Dana Barrett once, once again. again. Yeah, poor Dana. She's had it rough. Also, we failed to mention the opening image after the five years later title card is a crack in the cement. Oh, and the, the, and yes. a pink ooze comes out of the crack. And I believe Dana wheels through the ooze. Yes, correct. That's, I forgot to mention that. Yes. Uh, so that slime also is setting up our entire movie. So the much. slime gets on the wheels, which might kind of tell you why it kind of takes a life yeah. of its own right yeah. um so yeah uh, it goes from that into what uh winston and ray and the xo one which is just like dirty and, and yeah well we, <laughs> we cut to the the classic like ghostbusters we get the logo sure. and we see yeah then we cut straight to the ecto one pulling through town and sure it's a little dirty it's a little beat up 
a bunch of smoke coming out of the tailpipe, but it's like, oh, well, here we are. We're in a Ghostbusters movie. They're up and running, baby. They go to a brownstone. They walk in. They're asking details about what's going on, how many of them are there, what size are they. We think, oh, shit, we're about to go see some busting a ghost. Like, this is immediately a ghost-busting scene. But twist, actually, Winston and Ray are walking into a children's party. A birthday party where they have been hired to be the entertainment. Which is hilarious. That's, yeah, that's a great twist. And accurate. Um, that they would just be basically reduced to just kids parties after all the shit that went down after the whole Gozer thing. And it's and it's just so funny. The, the mother, by the way, who's also been in a lot of movies. I forget her name. I uh, should have wrote it down. But she's the psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah. The Lethal Weapon series. Um Richard Donner loves her. She she's in everything he does, basically. Yeah. But uh, Lethal, speaking of Lethal Weapon, this is the summer of '89. Lethal Weapon Two came out the same summer. Yeah. Uh, so did so uh, Batman. Also came out. I think two weeks after this, or a week after this. Batman, Little Mermaid. '89 was, was like a good the year, year of movies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that was he, the summer where I think I started to go see movies in the theater. Uh, I remember Little Mermaid specifically was one of the first movies I remember seeing in the theater, and I do remember seeing this. And I can't remember if I was with somebody. Uh, like with my mom or my dad, or if I went to see this by myself, uh, as I was known to do, even though I was only eight years old, going to the movies by myself kind of often. Uh, I remember seeing T2 Judgment Day by myself one time. Um, <laughs> Get you out of my hair for two hours. Yeah. Obviously, you and I have been to the theater many times as kids by ourselves. Oh, sure. Most sure. famously going to Mortal Kombat. And we, we got there a little late. We missed maybe the first 10 minutes, and we loved it so much. I called mom on a payphone and said, don't bother picking us up. We're going to go see it again. Right. And instead of just being like normal kids and just walking right back into the theater, we left, we exited the theater building, went back to the ticket booth and paid for a second ticket to go see it again. (laughs) I still, to this day, I'm like, why did we do that? Why did we pay the extra five bucks or whatever? Well, the ticket taker was uh, like at the corridor where it split off into two hallways so I don't think we could have left and come back. Oh, that's We that's would have true. been stopped, technically. That's true. To be fair. We, we, we weren't that lame, folks. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So Winston and Ray are at this kid's party, and immediately they're booed by the kids um, who don't care, which is kind of, it's, it's, I guess that'd be accurate. There are a couple of things about this movie that definitely timestamp it. <laughs> like the fact that the kids are asking for He-Man? Well, exactly. That, that, that's probably the big one is the and, kid says, oh, man, I thought it'd be He-Man. <laughs> and even at the time, I was a child, and I was like, wait a minute. He-Man's like yesterday's news. Because this is 1989. He-Man sure, had sure. his heyday in the early 80s. That was like 83. Yeah, 83 yeah. was like when He-Man was huge. So He-Man had... I mean, He-Man's another one of those properties that will never go away. Sure. There's always like a huge Mattel He-Man presence at Comic-Con. But in 1989, when this came out, He-Man had definitely, you know, fallen. Fair enough. Uh, that's debatable. Uh, <laughs> regardless, though, it, it does timestamp the movie. I love here that uh, this one kid kind of goes after uh, Ray and says, like, you know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. One of the big And you know who that kid is, right? Who's the kid? It's Jason Reitman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Future uh, Oscar-nominated director. He put... uh, There's two of his kids in the movie, then. Yes, because the little girl in Egon's lab is also his daughter. The one with the puppy is his daughter. Correct. Um, So, yes, there's that. But the, the big flaw of the movie is all these people don't believe in ghosts... (laughs) <laughs> when when the containment unit exploded 
in the first Ghostbusters movie, there were ghosts everywhere. Yeah. But then there was a hundred foot marshmallow man walking down, you know. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't believe is just an asshole right, at right. this point. So to me, that doesn't make sense that people, it's one thing to be like, you Ghostbusters suck, you guys blew up a building. But to be like, ghosts, ghosts so are real. Skeptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. And I think that there was some sort of mention, maybe in the first one, maybe in the second one of like, psychotropic drugs being used. It's, it's like what, it's, yeah, it's, uh, Walter Peck. Yeah, yeah Walter Peck yeah, says, says that basically they're causing these people illusions. People think they're seeing ghosts. Which is, it's not mentioned though in 2. You, yeah. You, you kind of did need to get that like, uh, no, no, it's just whatever chemicals you guys were spraying. It would have instantly been dismissive. Like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Right, right, right. But at, at this point, yes, they're still skeptics, which is our first point where we're back to the original movie structure sure. where we have the assholes who are not believing in ghosts even though, obviously, the Ghostbusters know that's true. They fucking fought Zool on top of that building and almost died. Right. So they know it's true, but nobody else believes them. Uh, so it's funny because he kind of, Ray kind of dismisses the child and just says, song. And it's the Ghostbusters song. It is the Ghostbusters song. So meta, the Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> exactly. song. Exactly. So I guess the Ray Parker Jr. song exists in the world of Ghostbusters, yeah. which I thought was very funny. That's hilarious. Also, a quick note about uh, the Ghostbusters proton pack and two is you can always, whenever you see a, a, a movie replica proton pack, uh, people actually make them now. They make custom proton oh, yeah, packs. For sure. Not that I've checked and, and want one. <laughs> but you can always tell a Ghostbusters 2 proton pack by one. Well, there's a few differences, but the main difference is the neutrino wand, the part they actually hold yeah. where the proton stream comes out, is tilted. You'll oh. notice in those proton packs, there's a slight tilt because the original proton pack, it was just it straight, was straight up. Right. Exactly. Um, what was the reason for the tilt, do you think? Like, it, made it a little it's bit probably easier, easier for... to pull it and put it back if it's slightly tilted. All these guys who are now suddenly of pushing like, 40? Yeah, <laughs> instead of going all the way back like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess that makes sense. But I, I did want to point that out. Never to, noticed that before. To all you, exactly. Yeah. That, that's one thing I could like to point out. But I noticed that when I was a kid. I was like, okay, this might be tilted now. Because I was crazy about Ghostbusters even then. Oh, yeah. Same. Uh, I so, definitely wanted a proton pack. I know I've discussed wanting to build my own Johnny Five and wanting to build my own Rocketeer rocket pack. I also definitely wanted to build a proton pack. Oh, sure. Even if it just looked vaguely like a proton pack, I think you and I may have one summer tried to cook one up where I think we got like a trash can lid as like the central part because there's that big circular <laughs> part that's the bottom. Yeah. I think that was like the, our beginning point. We didn't get much further than that. No, but. no. We probably just went and ate McDonald's and played video games. Yep. Uh, we played the, Super Mario World. Which we were very good at. We yeah. were very good at that. We failed in one aspect. Not, not so good at building other. things. Sure, but, uh, sure. uh Yeah. So Ray and Winston lead the kids' party, and you get the you get the whole rundown of what happened immediately following Ghostbusters. Yeah, uh, which is uh, basically they blew the, the the top floor of a high rise and got sued by every city and state, and maybe county agency in New York. Agency in New York. So they basically got sued out of business. So that's kind of why they're not Ghostbusting anymore. For the most part, they're just doing kids' parties for extra money here and yeah. there. Um, I have so questions about that, but. Because we never actually see what Winston's up to outside of Ghostbusting. I so think just kids' parties. <laughs> is Winston just doing kids' parties? Because Ray either owns an occult books. Oh, yeah. It's called yeah, Ray's Occult. Ray's Occult, yeah. Uh, so he owns a bookstore. So I guess he was not totally impoverished by this. He probably works like part-time with any of the guys. Because it seems like Winston's kind of like the, the I don't want to say like the handyman. But yeah. like... Whenever it's scientific stuff, like when they go to actually, you know, scan Oscar and all that stuff, Winston's not there because what's Winston going to do besides just hang out? Yeah. But when it's like, um, you know, let's let's go under the city and dig and and do like hands-on stuff that's not necessarily scientific, let's 
bring Winston. Cause, right. You know, why not? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, something told me that like Winston probably just helped out at their stores or whatever. I'm sure they, they did right by Winston. Yeah, I would like I'd like to think so. I feel about Ernie Hudson as Winston Zeddemore, the same way I feel about Ringo Starr of the Beatles. It could have been anyone else, but at the same time, it couldn't have been anyone else. Um, And there was that big rumor that Eddie Murphy was supposed to play Winston. That's false. That was never the case. I've Mm. seen like art, uh, like storyboards and stuff that make it look like Eddie Murphy. It was was never the case. Uh, It was never supposed to be Eddie Murphy. Uh, The original choice for Lewis Tully was not Rick Moranis. It It was was actually John Candy who was going to do like an accent and be really weird. And they were like, mm, so basically, John Candy was going to be Janos <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe he knew. I mean, Bill, Bill Murray, Murray wasn't was supposed, first to choice, Belushi, supposed to be right? John Belushi, right? John Belushi, yeah, uh, to play Vankman. So, I mean, uh, there were definitely things that didn't happen the right way. Ghostbusters was supposed to take place in space. It was supposed to be sometime in the future. Oh, right, right. right. Uh, so, Where I mean, they that, had like just wands. They didn't have proton packs. Yeah, yeah. Well, that storyboards. <laughs> yeah, but Ivan Reitman came in and said, "Let's th- this budget's going to be absurd. Let's let's kind of ground it a bit more." So a lot of things had to go wrong. For everything to go perfectly right. Oh, absolutely. For I mean, obviously, we all wish that John Belushi had lived and was still around, but sure. I don't think the movie would have been as good with John Belushi and not Bill Murray. It's hard to say. I mean, people forget how great Belushi also was. Um, I mean, it's it's easy to say that now, but like you Belushi's know, just a different vibe, though. He is, but Belushi's way more intense. I think he would have been too intense. Specifically for the Vinkman role, sure. Vinkman would have been a different guy altogether. But Bill Murray's like cool calmness and his snarkiness—he offsets all the nerdy shit of Ray and Egon sure. so perfectly that I think had Belushi played it, he would have played it to eleven, and it would have been like whoa, a little bit too much. Everybody would have been too much at that point. Right. Uh, the fact that this movie isn't horribly character-driven, everyone. Everyone's being very subdued. Yeah. Especially Harold Ramos is being very subdued, but like even in his like subtlety, like he just nails these comedic lines. I, I actually think Egon was quite well serviced in terms of like his one liners and how his character plays out in a couple of scenes, but Oh sure, but in two he's a lot more jokey. Yeah. A lot more yeah. jokey where it's like noticeable that okay, I guess they wanted Ramos to to have to be a couple more zingers. Funny. Yeah. Uh, I don't know yeah. if that was Ramos's doing or the overall vibe of it because as you mentioned, it definitely feels a lot of change from the original, I think mostly due to the cartoon. Yeah, I think they wanted this to be a, a big hit with the kids, and it was. I loved it. I, mean, I, I loved kid. it, yeah. um, But, I mean, there's definitely, you can tell, like, the, the Sony's got a little, more, a little more involved in the production of it. They're like, you guys got to do this, and, you know, that's got to happen. And, like, apparently special effects team wanted certain things to happen. So it, it's, Bill Murray has always said, like, you know, the, we, we did a great movie, and then the special effects team like took over or something like that. Yeah, I saw that. So it, it's hard to, to point the finger because you don't know exactly where to point it. But um, but we're not pointing the finger because we think that this movie is great. I know so. it, it's, it's totally great, but I'm trying to I'm trying to see it from we call it down the middle on our show. Yeah, John. Well, I, hey, I, I assume that happens here as well. I do so the same. I, I try to see it both ways. Um, so anyway, there are obviously problems, and you can tell things were changed later, especially when we talk about deleted scenes oh, yeah, a little man. later on. Yeah. But um, no, um, Winston is definitely one of the Ghostbusters. Uh, I do miss Ernie Hudson's mustache. I was going to say that. He looks like a completely different person. He does. With, also, his hair is growing out a little bit longer. Yeah, he's got longer hair, which is funny later uh, in a scary scene where his hair is kind of like big. Yeah, uh, yeah. After what, yeah. something happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I was about to say the exact same thing. Like, I miss the mustache a lot. But I love that Winston and Ray are together because one of my favorite scenes and shots from Ghostbusters 1 
is Ray and Winston coming back from busting a ghost, which is a scene that's cut out when they go to the mansion. Yeah. You, you see like a, a, you see a couple clips from that in the montage. It's where he gets blown by the ghost, right? <laughs> yeah, it's where Ray gets <laughs> yes, a blowjob yes. from a ghost. He gets satisfaction from a ghost, yes. What kind of podcast is this? <laughs> so yeah, but uh, they're coming back from that. And they had this very serious, not funny, and this is a comedy conversation about the end of the world. Because uh, what I loved about Winston's character was he brought a different dimension into the four guys where he's the only guy who isn't just spiritual. He's like religious. So he's talking about like the religious aspects of it. Where like, you know, Egon and Ray are like, ah, Sumerian, you know, Evo Shandor and, you know, ancient rituals and all that. What I like is that Winston brings in this whole like, I've just read the Bible my whole life and this sounds like end of days stuff. Yeah. So they have this very serious conversation about the end of the world, but it cuts away or you get this like far away establishing shot of Ecto-1 and it's like the sun's just rising. Yeah. And like, and you just see like the the red and blue yeah. bounce from the, the Ecto-1's lights and it's just beautiful shot. I love that shot. Love that shot so much. But I love that they're still like buddies. There's this established relationship with Ray and Winston. Um, and I love that it continues on into two. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, you know, Egon and Ray definitely do their science stuff together. Uh, you know, and, and that's established. Obviously, they've, they've known each other forever. But Ray, there's, Ray and Winston just have this relationship A with connection. those buddies. Exactly. Because Ray is definitely the more grounded of the two science nerds. Right. And I don't think Vinkman and Spengler have ever spent a minute together alone. <laughs> I, other than maybe like in, if they split off together for a ghost busting mission. But like, I don't think they've ever had dinner together. No, you, you kind of get Ray is the linchpin of that. Entire I was going to say, group. you, you kind of get the feeling that's, it's fun that we talk about this. You kind of get the feeling that like Ray and Egon were buddies and like Ray was the mutual friend that said, this is my friend Egon. Oh, whatever. He's, he's weird, but you know, he's paying for dinner tonight or whatever. He's right. buying me a beer. So he's fine. I don't know at what point they met because we met them. They were all professors at a college. Right. But I feel like they probably met in college or high school. Vinkman had an interest in science and maybe some natural skill at it. But Ray was like the golden child. And they got like either put together on a project or it was like a group project. And Vinkman sort of clung to Ray, clung to this nerd. Sure. To be like, I'm going to use you to get better grades. Like maybe Egon and Ray helped Peter get through. Exactly. School. Exactly. That actually, th- th- that's the movie that was never made. The prequel to Ghostbusters yeah. that I hope does not get made, by the Which way. Which they have talked about, oh, as far please. as I remember. Like, oh, Stop. what were these guys like? It's like, why do I? I mean, Stop. no offense to those guys. If it's not going to be those three actors playing them, which it wouldn't be. Exactly. Uh, why the fuck would I want to watch that movie that they're not even? busting ghosts right like because if you're gonna take those guys out at least you got proton packs and all the iconography of the ghostbusters and all the gadgets and shit that's all cool uh which is part of the reason i feel like the 2016 version failed a they tried to turn the ghostbusters into superheroes which they are not they're normal people and they're not action heroes and you had like all of the ghostbusters like doing flippies and kickies and shit and, like, they exploded. They didn't trap the ghost in that movie. They, like, exploded the ghost. And that just didn't work. I feel like what made it fun was that they trapped the ghost and they put him in a containment unit. They were pest control, sure. not fighting bad guys like they're the Avengers or some shit. One of the ultimate flaws of Ghostbusters is there is zero contingency plan. The containment unit has to always exist. Yeah. All they can do is maybe put it on a rocket and shoot it into space. Yeah. Beyond that... 
the containment unit has to always exist yeah. or these ghosts get out of the containment unit. They uh, didn't think that through right. too well. But let's get back to... Let's get back to it. So, okay, so you, you find out what happened after Ghostbusters. They were sued by every city, state, and county agency. So they can't Ghostbust anymore. So that's what they're up to. Then we we go to Dana, which has gone to uh, find Egon. Egon now works at the Theoretical Research Institute. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, and he's doing the experiment, which you, you talked about a bit earlier on, where he's basically getting readings from people based on their uh, their their emotional state. Yeah, and seeing how it affects the physical environment. Right. Which, again, is exactly what is happening in the entire city. Yeah, he's on one side of a two-way mirror. On the other side is a, a couple that thinks they're there for marriage counseling. <laughs> and he keeps gradually increasing the temperature. I think he had up to 95 degrees yeah. or something like that. And they've made them wait for two and a half hours. And to which I say, fuck that. I would have left long ago. Right. They should also question why the assistant that tells them they have to wait another like 30 minutes is wearing a lab coat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... um. Anyway, so so Egon's just basically getting readings off of that. Dana Dana's come to Egon and says, you know, this happened to me. Can you like help me out? Try to figure out why it's happening to me. You also get a bit of backstory and what happened to Dana and Peter, which is they were together for a while and then obviously they parted ways at some point. And Dana moved on and she actually got married to someone and this is where Oscar came from. Right. One credit to this movie is that they don't do the typical Hollywood thing where halfway through Dana goes, Peter. Oscar's your child. I know. I know. I'm Thank actually kind of shocked that they didn't do that. Thank you for doing that. At no point do we actually get the whole Oscar's actually your kid, because why not, Peter? That would have been terrible. However, Peter makes a great father to Oscar, I think, so I think that's going to work out for them nicely. He does. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Oscar and Peter's first interaction yeah. a bit later on. Okay, Can so I just say real quick, when he's talking to Dana about the relationship with Peter... Uh, she's not facing him. He's behind her. Oh, and he's been scanning with say. this little device. Yeah. Uh, he's been scanning the different people and taking readings or whatever. And Dana's like, oh, does uh, Peter ever mention me? And <laughs> Egon says, no. And then Dana, as she like reacts to that, we see Egon like clandestinely like scan <laughs> Dana for, for data. It's so good. It's, it's so, so, it's so subtle. And that's the kind of shit that be, I feel like people who maybe saw this movie once back in the day and never gave it a second look would have missed that completely there but it made me laugh so hard watching it yesterday there are so many subtle bits like that uh there are so many just looks that that peter can give that, that have you like laughing um because we go from that to what peter's been up to which he is uh he is the host of a tv show called world of the psychic yeah um where he has uh two guests on his show one is uh milton england another one's name is elaine milton england as you mentioned before um, even though, like, you know, Peter's obviously a fraud because he's not a psychic and he thinks everyone on the show is crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, the Milton Anglin says, like, you know, the world's going to end at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve this year. And Peter's like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, your book's not going to make that much money. Like, totally dismisses him. And then goes to Elaine, who is obviously crazy, and tells this insane story about, like, meeting an alien at a bar and like it, it luring her uh, back to her uh, back, back to, to his, his hotel room. She his hotel basically room. got roofied. Yeah, yeah. But she says that uh, the world's gonna end on uh, Valentine's Day in 2016. 2016 Valentine's Woo. Day. Uh, we we survived that one. Yeah, that day came and went. Yeah, but yeah. Watching the movie a thousand times when I was a kid, I never picked up on the foreshadowing of Milton Anglin being yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. And also to this movie's credit, it's never brought up again. Peter was so dismissive of this psychic yeah. who accurately predicted that something would happen at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve that he doesn't even remember that the psychic said right. that. Right. 
So it's never brought up again. I know, and they actually refrain from having him even in the crowd at the slime at the end. Like, yeah. that would have been very easy to just put them there. Maybe people would have forgotten him. I think even at that point in 1989, Kevin Dunn was uh, character actor enough to be a face where people would recognize him sure. if he showed back up. I think maybe if he didn't look so much like Kurt Fuller, who is also a big part of this movie, <laughs> maybe they would have put That's him there. Fair. I think they would have been confusing the yeah. two. But uh, after the show, after we get that foreshadowing, we see Peter, we see that he's still a skeptic, he's still an asshole, he's still the same old Peter Vinkman that we know and love, and for some reason the mayor is taking a stroll through the production offices of World of Psychic. Well, he may have been a guest on like news that films there or something Maybe, like yeah, sure. exactly. This is New York, yeah, these buildings, it's like Rockefeller Center, like a hundred different things film there. Sure. But yeah, the mayor, same mayor from the last Ghostbusters shows up, Peter's trying to talk to him, and who do we meet? The aforementioned Kurt Fuller... And I have no idea what this character's name is. Uh, I know his name is Jack. I forget his last name. It starts with an H. Okay. It's like heart of something. Okay. We both have smartphones, but we're going to show restraint and yeah. not look at our We're not going to look at our smartphones. This is about person to person. Right. Like it was back in 1989 when this came out. But for, for lack of a better, I'm going to call him Kurt Fuller because that's the actor that's who it fine. was. Sure. And you worked on a show with Kurt Fuller. I sure did. And I came to the show once, and I met Kurt Fuller, and all I could think of was Wayne's World. And I talked to him very briefly, very nice man. He leaves. And I <laughs> I left, and I was like, oh, my God. He, he's in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. How did I not think about that when I met him? Oh, man. I, I can't believe I, couldn't, I didn't think of Ghostbusters 2 when I met the guy. Yeah, I uh, didn't think about that in the entire year I worked on that show. <laughs> well, that's much worse. Uh, I didn't think of that until now because I only thought of Wayne's World or any of the other billion things that Kurt Fuller's done, including right. Supernatural, another show that I worked on for a very long time. Well, there you go. But, yeah, I never once mentioned Ghostbusters to him, which now I'm definitely kicking myself for that. You also got to meet another snooty asshole from the Ghostbusters franchise. You got to meet the concierge from the first one from the hotel, right? Michael Einstein. Uh, yes, he worked out at my uncle's gym. And I met him. And, uh, obviously, he didn't look exactly the way he did in the movie because this is many years later that I met him. This is, like, 2005 that I met him. My uncle, Bill introduced me to him and said, this is Michael, he's an actor. And I was like, oh, great. And, and <laughs> Uncle Bill was like, he's done a whole bunch of movies. And, and you, you do the thing that you should not do, by the way, which is go, oh, yeah, like what? Because you're making the person have to list all these things they've right. been in. And he's like, Titanic and, and this other movie I haven't seen. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen those. Like, <laughs> don't do that. No, it's kind of a shitty thing to do. But So he, he went for the ringer. And he was like, I was in Ghostbusters. And I was like, ding? What? And he was like, uh, I was the hotel. And I was like, hotel manager. Like, as soon as I saw him in that light, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, you totally are that guy. So he's also very nice in case you Did you have him say $5,000? I had no idea it would be so much. Yes, I won't pay it. Precisely, yes. I said, oh go God. through all your dialogue from Ghostbusters. <laughs> and they asked me to leave. What were you doing at Uncle Bill's gym? Not working out. He had to go work out. And I was wearing, um, I was wearing like jeans. Uh, and I was like, yeah, maybe next time I'll work out. I never, never actually yeah. did. I, I, it was my first time in LA. I was crashing on his couch for like a week. Yeah. So I basically, wherever he went somewhere, I went with him. So. Yeah. So you need to meet the guy who played Walter Peck. Uh, William. William Atherton? A Atherton, yeah. I don't know if he's, is he still alive? I hope he is. I hope so too. Because he's also the snooty asshole in Die Hard 1. He's the snooty asshole in everything. And uh, he's 80s 
He definitely has asshole. a type. He has yeah. A type. Well, he's so great, though. Oh, he's he's really so great. perfect for that. But, but Kurt Fuller is the, the William Atherton in this. He oh, absolutely. He has the Peck. If, um, we're, if we're making those parallels, which we will undoubtedly do throughout the entire thing, yes. Well, that's that's an easy one, especially with the mayor being the same character. Right. And, and going like, yeah, you saved New York once, but you can't do it again. Now right. you're crazy all of a sudden. Yeah. Okay, so we have that established now. Kurt Fuller is is this new antagonist. Walter Peck was about like, you're, you are spraying chemicals into the air and hurting the environment. Walter Peck was not about his motivation. It was more about he was just an asshole, but his motivation was actually pure because he worked for the Environmental Protection yeah, Agency. Yeah, he worked for the EPA. He had every right to question these guys and what they were doing and what the environmental impact on this was. And we all hated him because he was a snooty asshole and he didn't like Vinkman. But the truth of the matter was he had noble intentions. He just went about it in the wrong way. Sure. This guy's an asshole because he's one of those like lap dogs, like yes men, who's just in it for voters. Like I guess there's an election coming up possibly the next year for, for this up mayor. up for re-election. He's up for re-election, and this guy is willing to do whatever it takes to win, even if that's to the detriment of New York City itself. So he's an asshole, and he doesn't have pure intentions. So he we can f- wholeheartedly hate this guy. Yeah, and also Kurt Fuller plays a lot of uh, asshole characters Oh, he plays well. he's played that character every... Uh, a thousand times yeah. over. He's very good at it. Um, then we, after that, I think we get uh, the first shot of uh, Dr. Janusz Poha. Yeah. Uh, we, I think it goes to the museum for the first time. The great Peter McNichol. Peter McNichol, who, by the way, I have it on very good authority, hates this movie. What? Hates when anyone ever mentions this movie to him. Because he's one of the guys that wants to be known as a serious actor. So if you say, hey, Ghostbusters 2, it's like, man, fuck you. Yeah, well, go watch him in Veep. He's way over the top in that, too. He's hilarious in Veep. Right. I know slash knew a guy who is best friends with Peter McNichol. And says, like, yeah, if anyone mentions Ghostbusters 2, like, he he loses it. Like, he gets really upset. Well, that's probably a good thing that I never met him because he was up for a role in the show Supernatural. Oh, man. I know our uh, showrunner really wanted him for the character of Metatron, which is uh, the scribe of God. Right. And he would go on to play a huge role. Peter McNichol was the top choice. I forget why that fell through. It may have been a scheduling thing. may have been a quote thing. I'm not sure. We ended up getting Curtis Armstrong, a.k.a. Booger, from Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> Who has no qualms talking about Revenge of the Nerds. I hung out with Curtis Armstrong at a couple of different events, and that dude is super nice. He knows. Like, I mean, if if I do anything, I'm going to have to be like, yeah, that's what I did. Do you want to talk about it? I'm not going to be like, well, I did that, but also Shakespeare in the park. Right. Be Christopher Reeve, who was super proud of being Superman his entire life. Don't be Tobey Maguire, who, like, tries to act like, no, I'm not Spider-Man. It's like, fine, you're not fucking Spider-Man. Get out of here. Tom Holland's Spider-Man now, baby. Yeah. Uh, And he's better at it than you ever were. So if somebody loves you in something, just go with it, man. Enjoy that you brought joy to their lives. Well, on on that note, quick, very quick story. didn't happen to me, but I know a guy who knows a guy. A friend of my friend's... Uh, was like an assistant to to Bill Murray one day. Oh, I think shit. maybe he like caddied like, for him or literally something. Literally like one that. day? For one day. Oh, okay. I think maybe he was like his caddy for like a, a golf or something like that for a day. We'll, we'll just say that that's the case. But the the guy the guy that was a friend of my friends, um, huge fan of Ghostbusters, obviously. Mm-hmm. and As is everybody. Obviously a huge fan of Bill Murray. And they spend the whole day together. He doesn't go into the, so in Caddyshack or well, in Ghostbusters, he, he refrains from all that. Just wants to, you know, be the assistant of Bill Murray. Was he like, oh, in St. Vincent? <laughs> <laughs> so the whole day happens. You know, Bill Murray's very cool. They get along really well. Bill Murray goes to leave. 
And, and the guy's like, okay, I have to do something. So as Bill Murray's walking away from him, he says, tell him about the Twinkie. And Bill Murray turns around and goes, what about the Twinkie? <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nails his line from Ghostbusters 1, like without, uh, without, without missing, missing a, beat. a beat. That's so great. So it's like, even Bill Murray, who, you know, by now is so stupid, famous, and just yeah. known for being a guy that can fuck with you and just do whatever he wants and get away with it because he's Bill Murray. Even he was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think that he's, I mean, he has a huge roster of iconic roles. But oh, sure, sure. At very first, he is a Ghostbuster. Well, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about all these great movies that Bill Murray's been in. <laughs> Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2 uh, being among them. But you forget about like all the Wes Anderson movies he's yeah. in that he's great in. And he's had a whole second career. He, and he's about on to his third career at this point. So anyway, th- that goes back to the whole like just embrace what you did and just, you know, say, I did do that. Thank you for watching. You know, yeah. it, it bought me breakfast, your viewing of this, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So Peter McNichol is not one of those people. Despite However, that, Janos, uh, my note is literally Janos is the best character ever. <laughs> is my note that I have here. In the same way that there are some scenes in Ghostbusters 1 that Rick Moranis steals from Bill Murray. Yeah. Because Rick Moranis is so good at being Louis Tully. Dr. Janos Poha, Peter McNichol, steals a couple of moments from Vankman. Um, especially when Vankman comes to meet him, which is later in the movie, but uh, he's great. I mean, he's so this funny. character that he plays, he, he plays it very well. Where so it's, unique. It's absurd and over the top, but it, it could be someone. It could it could be a real person that yeah. you, you know. Um, it's right on the line. It's right on the line, which all the best characters to me are. Yeah. Like, they're, they seem absurd, but if you think about it, you've met someone this absurd. That, yeah. That's real. That means you're playing to the rafters and the front row simultaneously. That's what a good actor should always do. Precisely, precisely. Even when I do, like, you know, not to tout my acting career, but I've done some pretty zany shit, you know, for Funny or Die videos. I've worn a lot of uh, fake mustaches and beards. But, like, anytime I'm playing something over the top, I like to ground it in reality. Yeah. Even if it's something stupid and not realistic at all, I like to make it somewhat realistic. That's kind of one of my things that I like to do. Right. As far as, like, getting my getting my ability yes. uh, across. He's doing quotes. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. So there's that. So, yeah, as absurd as, as Janos is, you you believe he could possibly exist. Absolutely. Point. Yeah. And he's the head of the museum, and which is how uh, he's introduced to the Dana Barrett character, Dana works under him, and obviously Janos uh, finds Dana attractive. Who wouldn't find Sigourney Weaver attractive? Yeah. I think she's interesting in this because she really is more than your typical damsel. She's got more character in this than she did in the first movie even. And I thought she played the first movie very well, but at the end of the day, she was an object of desire and a damsel that needed saving. And this one, she's like much more well-rounded. Like, she really feels like a real person. She plays a great strength, but also plays a great vulnerability. Her playing a mother is really amazing. Her playing uh, this jilted lover is really amazing. It's like, Dana is probably the most dimensional character in this entire movie. Yes, I agree with that completely. It's She is the damsel in distress if you wanted to just quickly classify everything. But the thing is... She's in that position only because she doesn't know how to fight a fucking ghost. Right. You know what I mean? Like there are these four guys who know how to fight a how to fight ghosts. They're the only ones who know how to actually do this. Yeah. 
So it's like she needs the help specifically from these people to combat this, you know, this right. evil. But at the same time, like, she she accepts, and we'll go back to the first one very quickly, she accepts the help of, like, Venkman to come over, even though she can already tell Venkman Is obviously has something else on his mind, but maybe he can help. What other choice does she have? Right. Her refrigerator's haunted. But then when she finds out Venkman isn't taking it seriously, throws Venkman out of the apartment. Yeah. So, if you want to say that Dana is a weak character, that's incorrect. She's actually she doesn't. I wasn't saying bullshit. she was weak. When you say damsel in distress, you assume like, oh, hero, come and rescue me. Dana is ill prepared, ill equipped to combat. You know her current problem has to take on someone else. You know to help out, but finds out when they can't help. Seemingly at first, dismisses them instantly. Says, get right. out of my get out of my apartment. And he, even Yanish Poha makes advances, and she's like, no, thank you. Like, Just like you Lewis know, Tully made advances in the first exactly. one. Exactly. So poor Dana has all these, you know, all these guys coming at her going, hey, baby. <laughs> so she's strong because she's like, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I guess the orchestra must pay pretty well in the first one because she oh, lives yeah. in a very nice oh, apartment. Oh, yeah. Super swanky And apartment. in this one, I guess the museum pays pretty well because she's also in a nice apartment with multiple rooms. It is also when you get older, you realize this. Like, how could they afford that? Oh, how like, could Vinkman, even on exactly. his TV salary, afford that gigantic... Peter Vinkman's he must have been there loft. for... Yeah. I think he must have been there a really long time. He got in there where it was, like, super cheap before the neighborhood got nice. Sure. Maybe he's fixed up the apartment. May, but, like, may, rent control. May, maybe the super had a haunted place oh. in the apartment complex and he, Peter got the ghost out so they got to yeah. live in the apartment. Maybe. maybe. That's a good point. Um, that could have happened. No, but I, I or watched... Or maybe he bought it when, during the height of the Ghostbusters like when he had money. There you go. You know, they obviously sued them for a lot but maybe they didn't seize their assets. We well, can get maybe we should write the prequel to Ghostbusters 2. 2, right. Which bridges the two movies Ghostbusters 1.5. That would be good. <laughs> the franchise <laughs> rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, but back to what you're just to wrap up what you were saying about Dana as a character being stronger than the damsel or the love interest. Right. Uh, you're absolutely right, and I think that's a hundred percent on the shoulders of Sigourney Weaver, the performer that she is. The sure. uh, she's so strong in everything that she's in. I've never seen her play a weak character. To my knowledge, she is always a badass. Even if she loses or dies in the course of the movie, she's always one of my favorite parts of whatever she's in. She's always brings something extra to the role. And uh, Dana Barrett's no exception, which is why they would even bring her back. Not only is she a big star and she's another person to put on the poster, and not only is she a great character, but yeah, just like having Sigourney there just ups everybody else's game, in my opinion. And I feel like she... Like I said, I stand by, I think she's like the strongest of the returning cast members, the strongest performer of the bunch, because if not for her, I think a lot of the story elements could have possibly not worked as well. I will say that one of the flaws of Ghostbusters 2, and watching it this time really reminded me of it, was that you don't get enough Lewis Tully. You yes. don't get enough Janine Melnitz. Yep. You don't get a, well, you get a good amount of Winston, but you don't get enough Winston. Yeah. So much that when Janine shows up, in like the third act, you forgot Janine was You're like, even. Oh, in the hey, movie. Yeah. exactly. And they have like a a random subplot like towards the end of Act Two right, with which, her and Lewis, and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait, where, where have these guys been? What's happening? Um, uh, absolutely. But we're still in the we're introducing the Vigo painting. We see it for the first time. It gets wheeled in, and uh, not to keep up bringing our personal stories. I mean, I guess that's what a podcast is. How else are we going to fill the time? But I was lucky enough to go to ILM. Uh, in San Francisco, I had a friend that worked at ILM, 
And he gave me and Lindsay a tour of the place. And I got to see, I don't know if it's probably not the only one. It's probably just one of many of the Vigo paintings, but they had the full size Vigo painting hanging in one of their hallways. And you bet your sweet patootie I got a photo with that some. I bitch. think I've seen that picture. Yeah. yeah. Then, then you go into the, the gift shop and they're selling them. <laughs> yeah. Like, full size Vigo paintings. But uh, yes, I got to see a lot of really cool shit. The number of like background matte paintings from famous movies oh, was incredible. It was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. Great time. But it was really neat to see the Vigo, and I got such a kick out of that. And yes, the Scolari brothers and Slimer are in that same little chamber, and I was just like losing my mind over it. I, the Scolari brothers are great, and we'll get to them. But those puppets are really neat. The Vigo, and that just shows me, that just demonstrates how much of an impact this movie had on me specifically. Uh, I may have actually seen this movie more than I've even seen Ghostbusters, to tell the truth, because I saw this in the theaters and had it on video. I didn't watch Ghostbusters all the way through for the first time until a couple years after this came out. Actually, I'm pretty sure I saw Ghostbusters 2 in theaters when I was a kid. I'm pretty sure I seen two before I saw one. I think I had maybe seen one once. I'd forgotten how spooky that first scene was when the guys all show up and the librarian ghost turns into that very poltergeist looking yeah, like monkey beast yeah, thing. Yeah, kind of hulks up. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that scared the shit out of me. Like, it, I turned it off, well, I that, think, at that point. Uh, but I remember, actually, your father put on Ghostbusters after I'd seen two uh, in your living room. He put on Ghostbusters one and said, like, here's Ghostbusters. This is the first one. And I was like, nah, it's dumb. <laughs> I don't know why, but I love two so much. And I don't want to, I had no interest in watching one when I was a kid for a while. So I did. And I was like, this is great. It's funny because Scott Gardner, uh, if I could name drop real quick, Scott Gardner, you might know from uh, podcast, the ride, uh, also, I've done a lot of videos for him, speaking of my acting career. Creator of Moonbeam City. Creator and, of Moonbeam City. And, uh, and yes, I was going to say podcast ride, the other podcast where I stole the rest of my shit from, uh, basically. Well, steal from the best, uh, Yeah, I got to say. Uh, anyway, I know for a fact he's a guy who has seen Ghostbusters 1 and 2 only recently, uh, within the last few years. He watched them both back to back. Said he liked Ghostbusters 2 better than 1. Whoa. But that, that's so Scott. Two two has so many more like like hallmarks of the eighties and yeah, it it, it is he, a much more like from what I understand, he's very obsessed with eighties aesthetic. He is his and favorite movie of all time is is Back to the Future Two. Hey, which, I get that. That's a that's in my top ten. Probably. No, it's it's great, and I love the Back to the Future. You know, one, two, and three. The whole franchise is great. But like the first thing I ever said to Scott was like, you know, the flaw of Back to the Future Two, don't you? Um, <laughs> which is not what you say to someone. Uh, this is way. It's the first thing I ever said to him. It's before he did a bunch of movies or a bunch of I guess then internet shorts and what is the flaw of Back to the Future 2 uh, very quickly the flaw of Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2 folks is and what's even worse is they explain how this can't happen and still did happen when they go to the future to uh, stop Marty's kid from breaking the law and ruining everyone's lives old Biff steals the time machine because he hears how the time machine works I guess he's near he gets into the time machine, goes into the past, and gives the almanac to, to Biff in the past, past. 1955, I think it is. Somehow, old Biff is able to return the time machine to the future where Doc and Marty are. Technically, he would only be able to go into the future that he created by giving young Biff the almanac. So he never would have been able to return the time machine. That's true. And Doc literally draws this out on a blackboard in his rundown mansion 
when they go to the the present 1985, which is now young Biff's future of he runs Hill Valley now. Right. They're in Doc's mansion, and he writes on a board about how they can't just go back to the future to stop old Biff from stealing the time machine. They have to go into the past to stop him from giving him the almanac because the future is something completely different now. So the movie literally explains why what just happened technically could not have happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. I never thought of that. Anyway, sorry, folks. <laughs> no, that's okay. Clearly, I, I've, I pay too much attention to sequels. Um, well, if Endgame taught us anything, is that your past sure. can't destroy your future. It's already happened, so your future is your past. Endgame made Back to the Future Part 2 okay Yeah, for made, me, it, made it make sense. Uh, yeah, or, you know, Biff being from that time is some sort of, like, temporal anchor or something like that, so he can return to that time. To be fair, Who fucking when, knows. To be fair, when old Biff shows up back to the future, to, he's like to disappearing. Drop, he starts to disappear. Or well, we don't actually see it, but he's like sweating. You, and, you get the idea that that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Sure. He's about to vanish, like Marty was about to vanish in the first one. Forget that he knows exactly how to use the DeLorean. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, how he knows how to set it, where how to get there. Right. Anyway, the eighty-eight miles per hour of it. Right. Who knows? But back to the back to Janos. Uh, so we get Vigo the painting, <laughs> and at the end of the scene, we we see yeah, Janos like is into Dana. She's kind of on her way out of the uh, art restoration business in this museum. Uh, she wants to go back to the symphony, and this painting gets wheeled in. She feels uncomfortable about it. Janos is drawn to it, and one of the scariest effects of the movie is when Janos is talking and looking at her, and all of a sudden the face of the painting stretches out and looks at Janos. That was a really cool effect, and that really spooked me out when I was a kid. It's one of the rare actual shots of the movie where it's like, it's, oh yeah, it's, where it's like a composed shot. Yeah, rather exactly. Than just like where, yeah, set the camera on sticks and let him do the thing. The Vigo painting is sideways in the foreground, and yeah. you see in the background Doctor Janusz Poha saying like, I, "I think that she likes me." Yeah, you know I do. And the yeah, the Vigo head turns in the painting, and it's like, well, luckily no one of the hundred people standing around that looked. Oh yeah. my God, the Vigo painting! <laughs> yeah. Ghosts are real. Oh, we, we didn't know this before. I'm getting out of here. Uh, yeah, you're you're totally right. And again, back to the whole very standard look of the thing. Did you watch any of the trailers for the movie? I did not. The trailers are boring as fuck. <laughs> like the trailers are super dull, and I think it's partially because there aren't any like money shots in the entire thing. I think all trailers were kind of the same thing back in the day. Yeah, though. they were not like they are today. This they, is... they, for one thing, they didn't have the boom. Oh, sound effect, which you know I know you I love. Hate, you know I hate that fucking sound effect that's in every trailer now. All, but almost every trailer ended, like, they featured it in everyone where Vinkman tells Oscar, like, you smell bad and you're a burden on your poor mother. You're like, why, why would you include that in the trailer? I mean, I guess to be like, oh, there's a cute baby, but... Um, the only thing that they did eventually end on that was funny every time was, uh, let's suck in those guts guys for the Ghostbusters. Right, right. Uh, the first trailer, speaking back to your point of the Ghostbusters game being poor mixing, like the teaser trailer for Ghostbusters 2, you can't hear anything. It's awful. Oh, wow. Uh, you can't hear any of the dialogue, pretty much. It's just mixed very poorly. We, we, we forget what we have available to us now and that all these things have, you know... Everything's so much better now technologically than yeah. when we see something old. It's like, this is old. Yeah. There ain't even color in this movie. <laughs> but I'm a fan of old trailers, though. Uh, except for like old, old, like 50s trailers where they would just show a full scene from the movie. Oh, sure. And it's like four minutes long. Right. And then it's just at the end, it's like, ah, come see the tale of two wives. Well, that might be the best way to do it. I mean, just to show a quick scene from the movie. So if you like the scene, you're kind of like, well, watch that. That kind of makes more sense yeah. to me than just, yeah. you know. Things are going on. We got to fight the bad guy. Boom. 
I know. I kind of hate trailers now. I, I generally we we watched Endgame recently. You and I when it came, we got it re-released uh, in the theater with extra footage, with, which is laughable. It, I, I can once again confirm he's doing quotes. Yeah, because let's face it, that's just Blu-ray material that's yeah. going to be on the Blu-ray. It was bullshit. I thought there'd be actual added stuff in the movie. And as much as I love all of Disney Marvel and Endgame was great, like I, I didn't like the way they basically trick you into going to go watch the movie again. But you were saying about trailers? Every trailer is kind of the same, where it's got a slowed down version of an established song. Now, I, if I could just like put a moratorium on that oh for the rest of God. time, I would be so happy. It's usually it, it, it's a woman. Overly soulfully singing something very like, slowly. But this one, yeah. Over the <laughs> no, totally. Like you, you they did that for the Godzilla trailer. Oh, was, well, there, there was you that go. Exactly. <laughs> you can go your own way. It's like stop. No, I can't. Just stand sing that. it normally. Put the real song. I mean. At least, like Guardians of the Galaxy, put like the real the version of the chain. Put the I think, real was in, version was in. No, it totally is. It's definitely in the movie. Was it in the trailer too? It's in the trailer. Yeah. yeah so, like, thank you, James Gunn, or yeah. the marketing team behind James Gunn. Well, it's for probably doing that. cheaper to get someone to cover it. But how about you spend that extra ten bucks and just get the actual song <laughs> in there? I'm sure that's the price difference. It's ten dollars. <laughs> is a meal at Chipotle? No, that's that's all to a giant studio. That's literally what yeah, that is. Absolutely. That, that's no. It's money. just a style. I think that the same like three companies are editing all trailers anymore and it's just so homogenized the style of it a friend of mine who works or worked at least this is some time ago on movie trailers like a movie trailer uh company he sent me one he's like you're gonna love this trailer because it had uh it had inner sandman in it but it was a slowed down woman oh my god so fully singing you know Like it was like uh, I don't like no I was like of course I was nice and was like oh that's awesome great I was like uh, stop yeah because I noticed that was the trend of that being every trailer you know same with that sound yeah okay so we're we gotta we gotta muscle along because we're pulling me and Darren here we really are we're talking a lot about not the movie so now we have the the Ghostbusters which by the way when Dana visits with Egon says you know bring Ray in on this but do not bring in Vankman but we we do go to we we get to raise a cult bookstore right where Egon and Ray are kind of like you can tell they've been talking about what happened to Dana they're kind of doing some research on it yeah Vankman shows up just to hang out with them to pick up a book sure just pick up his book it's like uh still spells for fame and power no it's like uh pathways to like wealth and wealth something and like that something yeah. like I was that. gonna write it down but I was like oh I remember that and I totally forgot what it was that's fine but it's basically a spell book to try to be more rich and famous sure exactly so they're working on that and then Vekman's like, so what you working on? And Ray's like, uh, Egon's like, ahem, like, don't, don't say it's Dana. Yeah. I promise I wouldn't tell Vekman about it. But of course, Vekman gets it out of Ray that it's Dana Barrett. And By then, squeezing his ears? Yeah, like pulls his ears or whatever. So they go to Dana's apartment and Dana's very happy to see Ray. Dan is very happy to see Egon goes to close the door and Vankman budges in. He waltzes back into her life. Exactly, yeah. You can tell she's just like, oh my God. Obviously, and I noticed this until this last time I watched it, 
there was no mention that, oh, by the way, uh, Dana has a child now. Because right. as soon as the nanny, which, by the way, she can afford a nanny in this very nice apartment. As soon as the nanny brings an Oscar, Venkman gives a look like, eh, and we have a kid. And kind of like wanders out of the shot. Yeah. Like, okay, there's a kid now. So it's not just, uh, you know. It's, we're, we're, it's not we're, common knowledge. Exactly. We're not going to play this fast and loose. Like yeah. two kids having a so good time. So clearly they said, we have a thing for Dana, but didn't explain anything about what it was. They didn't explain exactly what it was. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so this is the first time that Peter even knows that Oscar is there. To be and fair, I, Peter doesn't care about what's going on with Dana. He just wants a reason to weasel his way back into his life. No, precisely. And, life. and now that there's a kid, it kind of like complicates things. And now that... And pumps his brakes a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And now that I'm, again, older and I've, you know, had relationships and i've you know been involved with women who've had children now like like i kind of get more you know like when it comes to stuff like that we're like oh yeah that was that would make things difficult like <laughs> yeah so it's kind of weird watching it now where i am in my life and going like yeah vingman didn't know that he, she got married though it seemed to me that he knew that much he, about her. he knew that after they broke up she got hitched right so you you get that first interaction with dana and and peter where they're kind of talking a little bit like so how you been you right know, and, oh p.s his hello dana Oh, it's yeah. so fucking funny. So Bill Murray. So Vinkman. So great. It's perfect. Yeah. But anyway, as you were saying. But it's just you, you get that interaction and he's like, uh, so her Mr. Wonderful ditched you and like went off to Europe. And he's like, well, she he didn't ditch me. He got a very good job offer. And, and so he, so we ditched you. And yeah. like just, and she's like, well, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. doesn't say it because Dana's not going to give Peter an inch. You know what I mean? So they have the brief interaction. You kind of get the idea that. Peter and, and Dana were together for two or so years. And I guess Dana was with this guy for a couple of years. They got married and had Oscar and then he moved on, um, but left this kid. So I guess this father just left yeah, to just Europe. And went, deadbeat dad. You take care of Oscar. Bye-bye. I'm going to go get some cigarettes in Europe. Exactly. The yeah. symphony. So and that's shitty because Oscar is a little. Yeah, no, absolutely. Little, he's, he's probably like, what, nine, six, nine. He's not even crawling yet. Yeah, he's so six months old, maybe. Teeny tiny, and you have two actors playing Oscar. Yeah. I mean, unknowingly playing Oscar because yeah. they're too young to know what's happening. Um, they are twins. I know that one is deceased. I yeah. believe he took his own life. Took his own life, yeah. Unfortunately. So that that's that's a bummer. Dutchendorf, but... I believe is their last name. Yeah. That's... Which they would work into Vigo's character name. Yeah. But I'm not into babies. That little dude is cute. He's a cute baby. He's cute as hell. They're, they're cute babies, we'll say. Yeah. So you meet Oscar for the most part for the first time and then the guys are doing experiments on Oscar all the while Peter's you know getting information on where Dana's at maybe emotionally with right. him is she ready to like take he, on a new lover cause he's totally putting the moves on her oh, yeah. and trying all the quote cheap moves yeah uh, he's got which, all new cheap yeah, moves yeah I got all new cheap moves but then he kind of like no I'm serious and like goes to help uh, Ray and Egon who are doing like literal tests yeah they're on, testing on you know you know typical like Checking his heartbeat, uh, checking his uh, vision, whether he can hear, if he's ticklish for some reason. Right, right. Uh, and then they go into his room to scan his toys for any kind of valences, they say. Sure. And uh, one of the my favorite lines, and I thought it was so fucking funny when I was a kid, the fact that Egon said his family didn't believe in toys. Right. Which really speaks a lot to Egon's character. Which instantly was... you get why Egon is the way he is. Exactly. And then Ray says, you didn't even own a slinky? He said, oh, we, we owned a slinky once, but I straightened it. Right. One of the funniest lines. He says he owned part of a slinky once. Oh, part 
slinky. So it's not even an entire slinky. <laughs> so it probably wasn't even able to do the slinky thing where it goes down the steps. It's like half a slinky. Well, it's like how even half a slinky is still technically a slinky. Yeah. Like, it's just a smaller slinky. But anyway, he straightened it because the it. scientific mind of his was yeah. like, could I straighten this? Yeah. Uh, and was, I thought about that a lot when I was watching it again yesterday. It's like, man, how would one straighten a slinky? That would be really really tough but it also plays into the whole like egon's scientifically curious mind yeah it's like god that's that's brilliant characterization like, without even so, realizing it so tiny but so succinct and perfect and elegant way right. of, of demonstrating egon because egon i think they built out a good bit in in those little ways uh ray doesn't get a lot in the way of true character development in this ray's kind of starts the same other than them being successful at the end and saving the day and starting kind of down on his luck. He doesn't have like a true like character transformation. Ray is super scientific, but he's also like this kid who thinks it's all fun and fascinating. Yeah. So you get a lot of that where like, you know, later something later happens to to Dana where the you know bathtub tries to attack and he's like Ray hears about it. He's like, Really? That's great. Yeah, because yeah, he's just excited that it yeah. happened. And I love that about Ray. Well, there was more with Ray in the movie. We'll get to it later on, but we'll bookmark that for for later conversation. Yeah. So, so, uh, so a whole subplot that was supposed to happen, basically. Right. So okay. So the the three of them are trying to figure out what's wrong with Oscar, like what's wrong with with Dana, whatever. And eventually, they go out into the the street where the uh, I can't believe we're only at this part. I know we're like maybe ten minutes into the movie. And uh, we're oh my goodness! Well over an hour into this recording, folks. You are getting your money's worth. Uh, I hope you have a your, long. Your zero dollars worth. Your free subscription. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting that money's worth, baby. You're getting every dab of it, baby. They go outside to where the carriage stops in the road, and they they put out they pull out the uh, the PKE meter and the uh, the Giga meter, and they just get in these huge readings. They decide they're gonna have to dig in the middle of the road and find out what's going on. So they dress up as um, I think Con Ed or like like kind of like ambiguous like, construction people, yeah, just basically. like a generic construction dudes, right? And they decide to dig a very large hole uh, in the middle of the streets. And uh, it's funny because there, there's a scene that's cut from Ghostbusters 1. And it's a good thing it is because it's totally out of place where uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd play like bums, basically. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's obviously them playing bums, but they're, they're, they're characters. They're SNL guys who love playing characters. So they wanted that in there, I guess. And it ultimately didn't make it because yeah. it just looks that's like Venkman. Probably the kind of the kind of thing where like they really insisted on doing it. And Ivan Reitman was like, fine. Right, right. We'll shoot it. We'll and film knowing it in the back of his head. Just drop it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we're, we're definitely going to cut this. I've, I've seen some celebrities handle that way on set. Sure. Yeah. But you get a little bit of character work here where they pretend to be like stereotypical New Yorker construction guys. Yeah. Who, when the, you know, the cops show up and ask them, you know, why they're digging they're like uh, we had some diaper bag doesn't feel like working on weekdays now let me let me say this vinkman i 100 percent buy having a typical new yorker accent in his back pocket ray not so much right i don't think ray is the kind of guy that would have that like the facility for that kind of thing that's true that's accurate. on command because egon much to his character just says yo yeah egon doesn't no so and he you can tell he wouldn't yeah yeah so that was great um we also get like the like a minor bit of sass from egon which i've kind of never i've just glossed over before where they're coming back with the coffee they're like how's it going he's like well while you guys were getting coffee for an hour yeah, i've right. been digging a hole in the middle of the street i was like whoa Egon's got some some claws. Yeah. Kitten's got claws. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought it was... I mean, I've always thought it was fun and funny because, as you said, they're all character guys. And obviously, Dan Aykroyd has a funny New Yorker 
construction worker accent in his back sure, pocket. Sure, but would Ray? But I don't think stance. Ray would. Right. Um, at least Egon was like yo and made it a joke right. out of that. So also funny to me is once they they get the cop off their backs, they all say, "All right, well somebody's gonna have to go down there," and. Egon and Vinkman looking at Ray, where Ray is just trying to think, like, oh, who's going to go down there? Not realizing, like, he's. They've he's already the decided guy. he's going yeah. down there. And, right. and why they decided that, I would have always thought that the two scientists would want Vinkman to go down and not Ray. But Ray is kind of like, again, the kid who sure. would be the first one to want to go down. Like, if I were part of the Ghostbusters, I'd be the guy to be like, fuck yeah, I'll go down. Right. Like, let's do this. It's fun because I have no good sense in my brain. Uh, so they plunge Ray deep into the hole, and he eventually gets into the, ni- uh, the 1870 pneumatic transit system, which was a real thing, which was built. It was uh, uh, an alternative to the subway system that we know and love today, where it was just some really high concept pneumatic tubes to get around the city. It would have been way too expensive to ever actually produce, so they only made a mile of it. So I'm assuming the River of Slime is one mile, but makes for a great fucking set. That's a beautiful set. It's a great visual. They return to it later in the movie. Yep. But yeah, he dips down, and it's like glowing glowing purple from the slime yeah. that's completely filling up this, uh, basically, essentially the subway you know, yeah. track. So luckily he's got that like scoop thing. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say like, that. Like a selfie stick with the scoop on with the like, end. Yeah, and I was going to say, isn't it convenient that he had that specific tool? They didn't know they were going to go down there to collect samples. Maybe they thought ectoplasm or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it does seem a little convenient to me that they had the perfect tool to get that type of sample. A sample of something. That not only is it a, a scooper, but it also extended so far. Right, right. So it was all kind of convenient. But, you know, we write these things off. It's a movie. Right, because at this point, we don't. they don't know that there's slime. This yeah, is the first don't... time they encounter the slime. Exactly. So he says, it's a river of slime. Um, it's a river of slime! I always loved his read yeah. of that line. So we get the sample of it, and then it starts to kind of react to his presence and yeah. kind of like... What's weird about this is like a, you you kind of see like tentacles ish ish yeah like you know, almost like a, hands like wavy hand tentacles kind of start coming up after him and then they kind of like start to grab his leg but he gets pulled away as you know topside the Egon and Peter are like having to talk to like the cop that came back with actual con with an people act- yeah with an actual like, like uh, electrician for we the check city. with we check with all these phone people you know you don't work for any of them so tell me another one and <laughs> Peter for a second goes. I've got a major gas leak here. Yeah. Like, it instantly you, changes his yeah. story. What do you think this is coming from? The sky? That was hilarious. Make this instant lie on the spot, which is obviously a lie. Also, before that, uh, the guy says uh, they are claiming to be working for the phone company. He's like, oh, i got to do miles of cable. They're like, the phone lines are over there. And then he turns to Egon and hits him on the head. It's like, what did I tell you? The phone lines, the phone are, over lines are over there. That is so good and so funny. Like, if it were just that bullshit for the entire movie, I would have been happy. Again, uh, if they a, never even put on a proton pack and shot. No, that's not true. If they never put on proton packs, that would piss me off. Well, again, in the very base of the movie, it's a comedy. If you're laughing, that it's doing its job. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and in Ghostbusters one, like, there's a good portion of the movie before they ever go to the Sedgwick Hotel to bust Slimer. And the movie is just brilliant. Like the 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 conversation with Ray and Peter outside the university when they get kicked out and decide to start their own business is yeah. like great. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, you'll hear that a lot. All my scenes in that movie are my favorite scene in the <laughs> yeah. movie. I also love how that scene is shot. Particularly. Oh, it's, it's directed. 
yeah. it's actually shot it's a like, certain way. It's like a yeah. But also, it's that moment of you know, like entrepreneur spirit and like you know like let's let's get yeah this let's done. fucking do this man yeah. like let's uh, let's go, go for it. business where they're ourselves. yeah where they're passing around the the flask and everything right like, uh, so good. where am I gonna get the money I don't know I don't know cut to them <laughs> instantly getting the money by yeah. mortgaging uh, uh, Ray's family Ray's farm family house <laughs> <laughs> again it kind of like we said about Egon and and Peter kind of like leaning on Ray for things yeah like, that's kind of like one of the first times they do oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, we can probably convince Ray to mortgage his, his family. Yeah, yeah. This, this is fine. Everything's fine. Right. Um, so, okay, back to this. So, they hear Ray is struggling. And Ray's kind of struggling in a weird way and freaking out, even though the tentacles have gone back into the, uh, the slime river again. But he's still reacting as if they're supposed to still be CG slime tentacles coming after him. Yeah. Which I always thought was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I would be freaking out if, like, I was just collecting a sample of this oh, weird sure, stuff. Oh, sure, sure. And, and it started to totally, grab at me. You can't totally look straight down from where you are, too, because yeah. you're at a weird angle. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that does make sense. But they're they're pulling him on the line back up again because they can hear him struggling. And he kicks this... Uh, this just a, just a, rot, a rotten out... tube yeah. that has, like, a, obviously a power cable in it. Yeah. And causes a huge uh, blackout in New York. York, which we did not mention at this point. Okay, well, oh, Yano, back to Yano, back to Yano, because this is where Yano shows up at Dana, Dana Barrett's apartment. We have not mentioned that earlier. Uh, somewhere in between all of this happening, Yano is, I guess, restoring. Yeah, the he's, Vigo re- he's cleaning or restoring the painting right at the eyeball yeah. of Vigo. Vigo zaps him in a great jump scare. I remember that made me jump out of my it fucking seat. It makes me jump every single time until now because I am so ready for it. Oh, yeah, it. me too. I'm like... But I'm, when I was a kid, it would, it'd would it be like the first drop on the Tower of Terror. Like, yeah, just waiting for that first yeah. drop to happen. But, uh, so this is where Vigo reveals himself. He is a he is a ghost, basically living in the painting of himself. So he tells he tells Janos who he is. And, and now, Janos, I never put this together, is apparently also Carpathian. Oh, is he? Yeah. Uh, I read a lot about... Peter McNichol and his process for this. Originally, Janos was supposed to just be a regular-ass dude, probably more in line with a Kurt Fuller type. Or, like, remember the guy, Sigourney's uh, buddy from the first movie, Next to the Fountain, who's, like, sticking the, right, uh, right. the liquid up his nose? Sorry, you're very pale. Yeah. Some Somebody more along those lines, just an average-ass, like, 80s handsome dude to be a bigger threat to Vinkman. And Peter McNichol came in with this crazy character and just went completely off book to create Janos. They loved it and incorporated it into the movie, but apparently he like he was Carpathian, created an entire backstory for the nation of Carpathia. Oh wow. Even invented a flag, which this is really funny to me. The flag that features a snake stepping on a human. Like stepping on like instead of don't tread on me with the snake, it's oh, like wow. a reverse of that. Wow. But it, the idea of a snake like stepping on a human's throat is funny to me because they don't have legs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Peter McNichol created all this around Janos, which makes it crazier to me that he's not proud of that part. That I did um, not know. Um, but, yeah, so the fact that he is drawn to Vigo, that he's possessed by Vigo, maybe makes a little bit more sense. Uh, I always thought it was a, a crime of convenience to take over Janos, but the fact that they're both supposed to be Carpathian, they come from the same place, he already knows a lot about Vigo. That's how he does know so much about him and who but he say is. Later, he knows a lot. You uh, you wonder if Vigo just went, oh, by the way, I, yeah. you know, all these things. Because he does say, like, the sorrow of Moldavia yeah. and all that stuff. and. So basically, he he gives Janos the assignment to go find a vessel right. that Vigo can inhabit to basically be reborn again, uh, which Vigo already has in mind that it's going to be little Oscar. The question is how and why. Why sure. Oscar? 
because he's only just coming out of storage at the beginning of uh, at the earlier scene with Dana at the at the museum. Well, one of the deleted scenes that we we talked about the scene already, but the scene where they go into the street and find out where the source of the disturbance is coming from, where mm-hmm. the spot where Dana's uh, baby carriage stopped. There's an extended scene there where Dana asks if she's like cursed. Why do these things keep happening oh, to yeah. her? And Egon kind of says like. It's possible that you are some sort of paranormal is is like, draw, like yeah. drawn to you or whatever. Yeah, like, like a lightning rod for the paranormal. Exactly. And I always thought that might be the case. And that deleted scene kind of confirmed my suspicions. Right. And I wish they'd explore that a little bit in the movie because I find that very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But maybe because there is that bit of Gozer essence in Dana, it would have transferred to Oscar. Yeah. So maybe that's why Vigo is kind of drawn to Oscar. Right, that makes sense to me. So yeah, the, the, there is some of that. That's you, a that's a good that's all good explanation. I mean, we have to like I've watched this some, movie a lot, <laughs> some pretzel logic to get there. But I mean, that all makes sense. The one thing I really wish would have happened had a Ghostbusters three happened is obviously Dana puts on a proton pack and becomes a Ghostbuster. And there's a picture of that. Oh, there is. I put it up my Instagram years ago, but yeah, there's a picture of her wearing what? the flight suit with the proton pack, oh, and it's shit, like, yeah, it's like Ripley with a proton pack. Fuck like, yeah, how dude. awesome is that? That's amazing. Sure, I um, really wish that would have happened. But yeah, so okay, well then we can explain away Vigo. One thing I did not know about Vigo until this current viewing and looking into it a little bit more, I never knew that was Max von Sydow doing his voice. Yes, uncredited. Yes. Yeah, because he's yeah because he is uncredited. I always thought, man, that dude has a metal fucking voice. Like that dude has an awesome voice, and now. I'm makes more sense because it's not him at all it's the one of the greatest actors of all time <laughs> no that the guy who plays vigo is in die hard he's one of the henchmen yep and he's also in the mouth of madness and you hear his real voice in those movies and it's yeah. not it's not that voice yeah um it's like a david prowse situation who played darth vader and he's got like this high-pitched yeah they're Scottish like voice. yeah it's gonna be you totally get someone better on the line yeah. right now. I mean, and look, if I had to be dubbed over by anybody, if Max von Sydow starts doing this podcast sure. instead of me, I'd be all for it. Well, it's just like Gozer and uh, Ghostbusters 1 was also dubbed over. And uh, the guy who played Vigo apparently walked out of the premiere when he realized his voice was dubbed over. I guess nobody bothered to tell him. Well, apparently he was not a very nice person. Yeah. There, there are stories about him being kind of a dick. Back to Janos. He is not exactly possessed by Vigo, but Vigo has granted him certain supernatural abilities. He's kind of like a ghoul yeah. to like a head vampire who kind yeah. of like carries out like the day-to-day stuff. Right. The, 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 the lesser stuff, I guess. Right. He's, he's the henchman now. So in, during the blackout, he goes to Dana's apartment to try try to get into Oscar's room to grab Oscar. Probably grab Oscar, yeah. He wants to grab Oscar, but that fails. He, he gets shut down pretty easily, and he gives up pretty easily. But then he's like, oh, well, I'll still try to fuck Dana, I guess. But she shuts him down again sexually, his sexual advances, as, which Dana must be very good at at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. everybody, every male character in these movies, except for Egon and Ray, have <laughs> pretty much on her. was Tully for however long she did. Yeah. Uh, so she shuts him down, puts him away, and one of the creepiest shots of the entire movie and i wish it would have done more stuff like this is the the hallways all lit in red because it's like emergency lighting and janos slowly creepily walking away his eyes basically turn into headlights Mm -hmm. and it's really a cool effect and it's really neat and really spooky and they never do it again. Never they, do it again. They never do anything like that again. But they want to establish that he's he's got supernatural, extra. which will definitely come into play later. So, so now the Ghostbusters are arrested. Oh yeah, they're they're good and arrested now, and for the second time or <laughs> for the first time in the movie. And we go straight to their trial. 
We can't, yeah. And there's another deleted scene here where Dana actually talks Dana to Peter. Dana is in the courtroom. In the courtroom. In the and courtroom. She, she's like, hey, bro, sorry. I feel like I'm responsible for this. And Peter, still putting the moves on her, is like, ah, it's fine. It is your fault, but it's fine. And it's a really good read of that line, by it's the way. It's great. Like, the all the deleted stuff was like, that should be in the movie. Which, by the way, seeing deleted stuff, you know, of a movie that you've known for over 30 years... And then seeing new scenes is like, what, what is happening? I know, it's crazy to me that neither of us had seen those before because we both own the Blu-ray. I was holding off on it because I almost like, I was like rejecting it. I was like, yeah. you know, the movie is what it is. There are no extra scenes. So I was like, finally, like, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. I'm going to have to watch the yeah. movie and stuff. I used to be a real big, like, special features hound. Like, I loved, like... Oh, I am, absolutely. I love behind-the-scenes stuff. Sure. I loved extra scenes. And I loved, like commentary and i've just i think in the in the decline of physical media obviously a lot of that's gone away so i just kind of stream whatever it is i'm watching uh but i actually i'm really glad i have the blu-ray for this because one it's a movie i will pop in every once in a while and yeah having all of that and there was a great documentary or not a documentary so much as a, a retrospective with dan Aykroyd and ivan reitman it's kind of a fluff piece, but it's really cool to see them reflecting on the, the legacy of oh, sure. Ghostbusters. And, and they both admit that nobody really liked this movie when it came out, but people's estimation of it has risen over the years, which is kind of why we're here. But that deleted scene specifically, I get why they cut it, because Dana is nowhere else in the scene. And to have her run away screaming like the rest of the audience does uh, would make Dana look bad. Well, on, the, on that note, you know who is in the audience, because who shows up again, is Winston. Oh, Winston is? shows up in the beginning and he's like, uh, after he hears the judge kind of oh, like, right. try to like get everyone to settle down. He's like, sounds like a real stand up guy. And Egon's like, yeah, they call him the hammer. The judge, by the way, is Harris Yellen. Yes. Who's in a ton of stuff. So many things. Um, so Harris Yellen's playing this great judge. Who oh, just, he is No nonsense. Um, which is great. So yeah, Winston's in the audience there. Uh, they decide to get Louis Tully. But did, did, was Winston... Always in the audience? Did that, yeah. I, I don't remember if that was... So that was in the final cut, huh? Yeah, yeah. He's so where the fuck did Winston go when all the shit happened? They didn't need Winston for the scientific checkup. But then he's there for their court hearing because he's their fucking friend. Yeah. The good thing about it is if they get sentenced, which they do, to actual like jail time, Winston's not going to go yeah, to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, However, I did miss Winston in the drilling scene. Like, I feel like Winston... It would have been more fun had Winston been there. That's actually true. Scene. Why wasn't he there for the actual excavation? Yeah. I guess they realized what they were doing was highly illegal. Yeah. So they were like, they we don't need to get Winston to, involved. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. But, but it did, at the same time, Winston probably could have. Watching done. it this time, I was like, Winston should be there. He should have been be there. Fun. But also, you got to remember that for 75% of Ghostbusters 1, it is just right. Venkman, Stance, and uh, Spangler. Yeah. And Winston would have been probably a better equipped to handle the cops and stuff too. Sure, like, sure. Winston would have actually been able to handle the cops like and they wouldn't have been bugged again. Probably would have been the guy that like got them all the equipment. Cause yeah. in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, like his father was like a construction worker and all that stuff. You get a bit more backstory on oh, Winston cool. Zedmore. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the cartoon, which I was not a huge, huge fan of, oh but I liked the it. The first three seasons. I mean, don't get me wrong, I drank a shitload of Ecto Cooler growing up. I'm really big into like continuity and uniformity among properties. And the fact that all the Ghostbusters had different colored outfits bugged me. And uh, even though I really like the design of Egon, uh, his like pompadour mullet thing <laughs> that he had, I didn't love that as a kid. I well, didn't love that he was blonde. Well, they're called the real Ghostbusters because there was already a cartoon being made based on the original Ghostbusters. Right, which was a dumb live action show right, with a monkey. At the same time. So they called themselves the real Ghostbusters. Right. To be like, no, whatever, whatever they're doing, we're the real Ghostbusters. <laughs> right. But in the storyline, if I'm not mistaken, there was a scene where they said, oh yeah, that movie... 
that was just all based on us. We are the real guys that, that right. the movie is based on. Like, sure, sure. They sure. had those guys playing us, and they didn't look anything like us. Well, one of the first episodes of Ghost of Real Ghostbusters is them all is is they explain what happened to the old jumpsuits. Really, they had just come back from fighting Safe Buff Marshmallow Man, and they're covered in like marshmallow ectoplasm, and they throw uh-huh. the suits into a box. And basically, the the suits come to life and like come after him or whatever. Um, so that's what happened to the old jumpsuits. That's how oh. they got new. They, they explain why they're wearing different jumpsuits. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, so, actually super fun. I so like that, that. So that's why. Yeah, but there were there very quickly about real Ghostbusters. Yeah, uh, I, I know a bit about that as well. Uh, Lorenzo Music, who famously right. did the voice of Garfield, does Peter because he sounds just like Bill Murray. <laughs> right. Everyone thought that the voice of Garfield from the cartoon was Bill Murray, but it wasn't. Right. Bill Murray is the uh, the feature film version of both Garfield Bill and Bill Murray Vickman. does the feature film version voice of Garfield uh, hilariously, even though he had Lorenzo Music fired from doing Peter Venkman's voice from Real Ghostbusters because he didn't like his voice. Right, and who took over? Dave was Coulier. Yeah, that's right. Full House took over uh, for him. Also, Arsenio Hall does the voice of Winston Zeddemore no, in the a, cartoon. That's good casting. You know who does uh, who does Ray? It's fucking Megatron, Frank Welker. What? Uh, Megatron. Frank Welker doing a rare, normal voice. Frank Welker does Ray stance in the uh, cartoon. I think uh, Frank Welker and Leah Thompson are the two things that combine all the episodes that we've done on the show. Because <laughs> honestly, like looking at it, like I'll watch these things and almost everything is like, holy shit, Frank Welker did a voice for this. Like in the, uh, he did a bunch of the Koopa voices in. Um, Mario Bros. Or the Goomba voices, rather, and Mario Bros. Sure. I guarantee you Frank Welker did some of these ghost sound effects in oh, this movie. probably. I wouldn't doubt it at like, all. Like, there's the big ghost in the archway that's just making a monster sound. I guarantee you that's Frank Welker. Get Welker! Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Maurice LaMarche, I believe his name, does Egon. And I always thought they could now do a Ghostbuster movie that was animated, and you would have him do Egon. And that would still kind of work. Because his voice does sound a lot like Harold Ramis's Egon voice. And also, it's it's very accepting because he was Egon of the real Ghostbusters. Right. And it's animated, so it would work for me. Yeah. Anyway... Um, so there's all that. So, you know, but it changes when Dave Coulier comes in and, and the show gets a lot more lighthearted. Slimer plays a bigger role. Yeah. It's not as dark and scary. I saw like some notes that the cast had on like, like, like race dance is a bit portlier. Uh-huh. And later on, there's like a note probably from, actually, I think it is from Dan Ackworth that says Ray needs to be thinner. So they make Ray thinner. There's a note on Even Jim. though between the first one and this one... He does he, gain weight. Yeah, yeah he yeah. gained not like a ton of weight, but probably like 30 pounds or something. Sure, but also they wanted to make him look a little different. But like there's a note on Janine's animation cell that says less slutty. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess they thought she dressed a little too, quote, slutty. Okay. In the first couple of seasons of Real Ghostbusters. So she wears like more conservative clothes or okay. whatever. Anyway, that, that, I mean, uh, I looked at Janine because I was like, why does she look so different in this movie? But she's, she's also that 80s to 90s transition look. Way too bright of colors. Bright and green. Too, yeah. Her hair, is, there's actually... The hair color is probably the biggest change because she kind of had a short, just her natural hair color of like an auburn brown right. in the first movie. Big librarian glasses. And this one, she's got like funky like green glasses and like this red door the explorer wig and she has like that cheetah print go look at the cartoon she looks very similar to the cartoon because the glasses are really the same the red hair is really bright and like a shock of red and that could be the cartoon and the movie kind of like well it's like this in the cartoon right so so there could be some of that i think that made a lot of changes to this movie Uh, obviously the darkness no smoking 
all that stuff, except for like once or twice where he has a cigar. But right. uh, a lot of those changes, I think, came from Never lit. the popularity of the cartoon. You know, he's trying to cut back. I think he's just chewing on. Uh, anywho, so okay, so we're not room. even to the end of Act One yet, folks. <laughs> uh, so Harris, our uh, judge, Harris Yellen, Yellen, he just like tears into them. Uh, the prosecutor, another like great '80s uh, female dick. She's great, but she does incite one of the only like dirty words of the entire movie. Do you want to do Vinkman's speech? Uh, Sometimes shit happens, and who shit you happens. I forget exactly. If, if you didn't ask me to do it, I could. I know, done, I know. Yeah. I forget exactly how it goes. That was definitely when we worked at Hollywood Video. We were charged with putting on family-friendly movies right, to play, right. uh, and we picked Ghostbusters Two because we both love it, and it was just the two of us working at the, on that shift. And somebody complained because of that line. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I told this story recently about how we would watch like Emperor's New Groove a lot or Disney movies, but we would put in like a PG movie or a PG-13 movie, but we would know where the cuss words were and we'd have to like drop what we were doing and go run and turn the volume down <laughs> right. for that two seconds right. and then back up again. But so we were both a- busy in that moment. That may have been like one of our Thanksgiving Day shifts. Sure, sure. Uh, where we we were don't like, care. They're yeah. making us work on Thanksgiving. They're making us work on Thanksgiving. We're both miserable. There's two of us and everybody in town is coming to the video right, store right. we're exhausted let's at least put on a movie that we like put Ghostbusters too uh. yeah but somebody complained <laughs> and then after that we could only play G-rated movies or the like corporate videos <laughs> the Hollywood that they video commercial which Jesus those just grated uh. in your nerves after a while remember there was one that lasted like Two years. Like, they used to be every month, and then there was one video that just never went away. <laughs> and then eventually... Make a we, new one! Yeah. But all this whole courtroom thing is done very, very well. They get Lewis Tully to represent them because he's the only, like, accountant slash only, lawyer. Yeah, he's the only lawyer they know They know and they're afford. so cheap that they're yeah. like, yeah, he's fine, whatever. Even though they know it's going to be disastrous. And it is. He's terrible. It is. He's terrible. He's, and he's hilariously and he's so bad. great. And he's so good in this scene. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's just take our moment of respect of Rick Moranis and all that he's given us and that all that he's done. He is one of my favorite actors. I'm actually glad that he stuck to his retirement, though. As much as I would love to have more stuff like him, if he came back, he would not be the same Rick Moranis that we knew and loved from Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. He would be a new version. Uh, And maybe if he did something different with his career, that would be cool. And look, let's be honest, if they did a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot tomorrow, they announced that Rick Moranis was going to be in it, I'd be thrilled. But I'm really happy that he had his moment in the sun, had a great career, left an incredible legacy, and he's just wonderful. And he... Slides back into Lewis Tully like an old glove. He's amazing. He really is. Uh, good summer for him, by the way. Ghostbusters 2 and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids 89. Oh, shit, yeah. So he made some money. He's probably still living off that money. Yeah, for sure. I, I know that I think he's gone on record saying, like, the first Honey, I Shrunk the Kids made me enough money to retire and live comfortably forever. Yeah, and by the time he was doing Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, he was probably like, yeah, kind of <laughs> done with this whole yeah. Hollywood thing. How do you think he felt when he did Honey, I Shrunk the Audience? Well, that was for... that was for, At least that was for a theme park. That yeah, was for a theme park. Got to be with Eric Idle. Got to act. Maybe opposite? Probably not. I doubt they were ever on set on the same day. They probably got Rick for like 30 minutes one Thursday afternoon. Sure. And that was it. Like, here, put on the Zelensky glasses and let's just say these couple of lines. You're like, <laughs> okay, I guess. Well, all right. um, but yeah, uh, Louis Tully sucks terribly. As a, a defendant, uh, we learn that the Ghostbusters have been legally barred from busting ghosts. We get a recurring appearance from the guy who came to shut them down, the 
guy who works for the city. Right. And who actually gives him some credit because he's like, I, I, well, actually, does he say whatever it is? They I put don't know, there? catching ghosts. Yeah, because they, the, they pull the proton packs and ghostbusting equipment from the car. And there's like exhibit A and B along with the, the slime sample that... Uh, that Ray has, even though it's way more slime than he could have possibly gotten. In the same right, but well, we don't. Wait, wait, wait. So that that's all in the corm. It's, it's established. The ghost busting equipment is there. The proton packs, the the traps, the the slime is all there. So and it's a good thing that Harris Yellen is this very vocal, very mean judge because this is where you find out the slime is psychoreactive. So right. it's feeding off all of his negative energy. And they, of course, lose their court case horribly. Right. The the hammer is very happy to give them this huge sentence and tells them what he really thinks of them and their, their charlatan ways. And, of course, throughout this giant, this very long, angry monologue, the, the slime is just bubbling over. It, like, pops the top of the lid of the, the, yeah. the container it's in. And then right when he hits like the the zenith of his thing and says, would have reached back to a time where we would have burned you at the stake, out pops these two ghosts and it's the Scolari brothers. Finally, like we see some ghosts we in this see bitch. Some, we, you, you actually forget, oh yeah, they're the ghost busters. Um, so yeah, the Scolari brothers pop up and they're in like they're in individual electric chairs, which they break free from and then yeah. dive into the judge's booth and he dives out he of the narrowly way just escapes, in time. Yeah. Crawls over to where the Ghostbusters are. They're underneath the, their table and says, uh, the Scalari brothers, friends of yours, I tried them for murder. Gave, gave them, them the chair. chair. You got to do something. And then, of course, the Scalari brothers are wreaking havoc. They look terrifying, by the way. They are really scary. Yeah, they like are great puppets. They're or- grotesque. Things with like tattered prisoner garb, but like there are flashes of like their internals, like their skeletal system. Yeah, because I guess electricity is yeah, pulsing through. Yeah, they're, they're both like pulsing with electricity. The, those great practical ghost effects from the first one, but oh, like yeah. upgraded to be a little bit more solid. The the like matting is a lot better mm-hmm. because in the first movie, especially if you watch it on Blu-ray, the matting is pretty horrible. Yeah. Uh, this one, it's just seamless. Like we watched it on Blu-ray and an Ultra HD TV looked phenomenal they're great they're terrorizing the the audience people are running for their lives they're throwing chairs around they're throwing people around right they take the the uh the prosecutor and hang her up by one of her legs and carry her outside through who knows what they do to her yeah yeah but good lord i don't want to think about that but yeah there's a there's one who's very like gaunt and thin i think some of the more expressive like movements were done by the same guy who did the running ghost Later. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's the jogger ghost. Yeah, yeah he yeah. plays like three different ghosts in the movie. Um, <laughs> and then one's very rotund, uh, very round. That one's very clearly a full puppet. Sure. But, man, they are, yeah, they're terrifying. And, yeah, back to my trip to ILM, I got pictures with both of those puppets. And they are, like, scary, even in person. Like, oh, I'm sure. Fully lit. I was like, Ugh, I don't want to go near those things. And I remember them scaring the shit out of me as a kid. What I love about the ghosts, uh, typically in Ghostbusters too, is they're not just, oh, it's a ghost, run! It's this ghost, he died doing this. Like, you get a little bit like a, a quick scary yeah, story like a about little, it. little backstory. So you instantly find out about the Scalaria brothers and the immediate attachment to the judge that's sentencing them. So, of course, the judge is like, you got to do something. And, you know, Ray's like, don't talk to me. Talk to my attorney. And this is where Lewis gets to shine and like be like a ball ball buster and say like you know you want my people you gotta like throw this case out or whatever bring us back and he basically recedes the order so now they can officially ghost bust again just like that I guess that's how it works. That's technically yeah. how the legal system does yeah. work. I don't know where the ghosts have gone, but they've disappeared. I guess they're just terrorizing people out and about. Yeah, yeah, so they, in a great moment, like, everyone's cleared out of the courtroom except for them. 
when they're strapping back up, yeah, the, baby. Yeah, the judge says, now do something! Yeah. Cuts to them putting on the equipment, uh, which is what you've been w- probably waiting for yeah, this hell entire yeah. time. It's like uh, watching, you know, Batman suit up for the first time yeah, if absolutely. you've had to wait. No, it's, hard. it's like, like Indiana Jones picking up his whip. Say what you want about Ghostbusters. The Proton Pack is as iconic as Indiana Jones's whip. Absolutely, Proton yeah. Pack, absolutely. So... So you get that. It's that great, like, the, the music's kind of serious, a little yeah. militant. That da Yeah, it's like a little march kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like, the boys are suiting up. Yeah. And they talk about, like, been a while since we use this stuff. Hope it still works. And um, no time for a bench test. Heat them up. And then there's that joke. <laughs> Which I didn't get right at first when I was a kid. Well, let's, we'll talk about the joke a little bit here. Basically, you, you have to, your proton pack, you turn on the back, but then you turn the wand on separately. Right. And so, it makes that great sound. Oh, this is a great sound effects. Another other great things about yeah. The I think that's a that's a must. Like any iconic thing, uh, Indiana Jones is missing the iconic sound effects, maybe, but has that score. Like Ghostbusters don't have like a symphonic score, but they the sound effects for the Ecto one for the proton pack coming on and then the proton pack shooting are so oh, unique. Sure, never heard anything like it again. But yeah, that beautiful humming sound. Oh, I love it so much. So but yeah, good. you turn the wand on. Turn the wand on. So Peter turns his on and goes, Doh. Cut to Ray. He turns his on and goes, Ray. Which goes to Egon and he goes, Egon. Because they're doing obviously Do Ray Me. Yeah. And also, Egon is me to him. Oh, sure. So there's also that. But yeah, he like works both basically, ways, Harold yeah. Ramis like has a sly grin to the guys and more or less like if they would have hung on that shot for a half a second he would have looked directly at the camera and like <laughs> winked uh but they're ready and it's just dead quiet and yeah. still in the uh in the courtroom and all of a sudden the chairs in the back start flipping over and they're like whoa and they're like waiting and the the music's starting to build up and the the wind start like yeah. the air starts to come through you know and then the Sclare Brothers come up from the ground and the proton packs come on and it's just, it's, you're in it. They like fucking light them up, man. They actually they make pretty short a, work of the Sclare Brothers. Yeah, because you they realize they haven't busted a ghost in five years. Yeah. But, I mean, they know how to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, they take the Sclare Brothers down. Uh, Vinkman gets one of them. Ray gets the other one. And uh, Spengler throws the trap, throws them in. And one thing that we used to quote all the time, <laughs> which is two in the box. Used to. Yeah. Two in the box. Ready to go. We, we be, be fast, fast and they be slow. slow which we stuff. used to say. We also had a Forrest Gump version of that. <laughs> which was... I was wondering if you were going to bring up the Forrest... Because I heard it last night and yeah. I was like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that Gump made me version. laugh too. Uh, back to Forrest Gump, which I talked about at great length in the last episode. But it was two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast. And I got me a new pair of shoes. <laughs> I have no idea why that's like why that's the, that's the so quote tough. we decided to use. I can't believe we still remember that. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course we remember. We said that all the time. Jesus. Uh, they are back. Like, there's no wasting time. No, like, logistics about, like, get them getting the, the firehouse back or getting fully on. And I have to wonder... So what's been going on the last five years when they couldn't bust ghosts? Are ghosts just running rampant in the city? Are they just like terrorizing people constantly? And they're like, hmm, sorry. Well, because can't, they can't d- bust any ghosts, whatever. Well, think about it. They never um, recapture all the ghosts that leave the containment unit. Yeah. That's why later on Slimer's out and about because they never captured yeah, Slimer again. Exactly. So you got to imagine they're very busy probably cleaning up that whole mess and cleaning up all the new ghosts that have been created. So you get the, the famous Ghostbusters montage. We even have the new version of the Ghostbusters theme. Uh, it's the Ray Parker Jr. song that went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 back in 1984. But this time it's Run DMC, baby, because we're about to get into the 90s. This is like the height of the rap theme song because we'd have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rap theme song uh, the following year. We have this one. 
Uh, we have the Adams Family movie uh, coming up soon, where uh, MC Hammer did a Adams Family rap. Well, just like we said about movie trailers, like oh, this seems to be okay. It's what you do now is a recurring theme where you have a song, yeah, but you have someone cover it very slowly. It's like okay, well, apparently, if you want to hit, you just get a rapper to sing a song that vaguely explains what's going on <laughs> and almost like beat by beat. The Bobby Brown song, if you actually listen to it. Oh, yeah. We'll get, <laughs> don't worry, like we'll get to the Bobby. Beat by beat. Like, they watched like a movie and went, okay, and there's the part where they're shooting the guy. <laughs> and they asked Lewis Tully, you're going to represent us in the case. And he says, I did mostly night school. But like, <laughs> like literally, it's what's happening. Well, I mean, let's just call it out like it is. Uh, that was the style. Like you did the entire really movie. Was. Like the best one is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I by Partner in that. Crime. I well, which one that. is better? You give me another one that explains the plot better than that one, other than the huge mistake. That yes, they yes, make. John. Raphael you know I'm say. is the leader of the group. Raphael transformed from the norm by the nuclear group. The leader of the group. No, he isn't. When I was a kid, that infuriated. Oh, that pissed me, me off. But I loved that song. Oh. I didn't care. Uh, but T-U-R-T-L-E, Power. That's a great song. It's a great song. I, I, have, I have that on several of my playlists <laughs> on Spotify in 2019. I still love to listen to that song. It still gets me pretty amped. These heroes are into pepperoni and cheese, John. <laughs> you know I love the, the group dynamic of four because I oh, love yeah. the Ninja Turtles. I love the Ghostbusters. Ironically, I do not like the Fantastic Four. I mean, they're kind of bland. I like the Fantastic Four just because their powers are so weird and varied. The thing is neat. The thing is cool. Beyond that, I don't care about the other three. I don't really love the Human Torch. I love the idea of stretchy powers. Back when we made comics together, you know that we made many stretchy people. Sure, sure. And I think the Invisible Woman is neat because, I mean, just turning invisible but having those invisible shields, that's pretty badass. Well, when they realized that maybe she could do this with it, it kind of made her more interesting than just, you're invisible, now what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So. Uh, but anyhow, back to the Run DMC song. I watched the video this morning where Annie Potts and Sigourney Weaver both make cameos along with the three uh, three of the Ghostbusters. I think, uh, I want to say Harold Ramis does not make an appearance, but it's like Ernie Hudson, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray are all like security guards ushering Run DMC. But they do the whole song in Ghostbusters outfits on stage. It's great. It's wow. it's really fun. I like it with like sporadic clips from the movie. That was great. But yeah, that was a, definitely a time, maybe arguably pioneered by the Ray Parker Jr. song. Sure. Kind of ushered in that age of movie-specific theme songs. Uh, obviously, Kenny Loggins got a lot of work doing movie theme songs, but they tripled down on this movie because they have this one. They have the Bobby Brown song, which was another huge hit. Uh, so he has a couple songs, I think, for the soundtrack. Well, then there's the very last song for the credits. It's called Spirit mm-hmm. by Dougie Fresh and uh, I think the Fresh Bunch or something like that. And I was like, I just thought that was a song about ghosts in general, but he name drops the Ghostbusters in that too sure. so well we're not there yet but I guess I'll go ahead and mention it if you watch the end credits of Ghostbusters 2 it is a seven song medley uh, actually counted because I always realized there were a lot of songs that play but there are seven songs oh in the end credits at the end credits oh wow yeah um, but yeah the, the last half is like just the different suites or whatever right. that would play throughout Ghostbusters but the first half are all the songs about Ghostbusters yeah um, so anyway uh, where are we at so we're, we're at the we're at the uh, what I call the we're back the montage. We're, the we're back montage. Ray says, we're back. Right. So you get the Ghostbusters. They're successful again. The route busting uh, ghosts, obviously. You get the black flight suits. Yeah. Uh, or the, a, a few times. Like a dark bluish gray. Mm, they're, they're not exactly black. They're pretty black. Um, they're 
they're, they're they're smoky. They're charcoal. We'll say. Yeah, we'll call them charcoal. Um, so you get, the, you get those flight suits. It's Christmas time. They're wearing the the Santa hats. They're wearing Santa hats. Um, they're running through the streets. Some of this footage could have been lifted from the original Ghostbusters because it similarly had a montage. Once they bust Slimer again, parallels between the two. Once they bust Slimer and similarly come through doors holding sure, it, sure. Uh, then we jump into a montage where they're super crazy busy. Uh, but it's a great montage. The, the only question I have is there's one scene in particular. Where they're busting ghosts in like a jewelry or crystal store, and like there's yes. a bunch of shit, and there's like this weird trap laser thing. It's like poltergeists because you can tell the like the the china and the the, the dishware is like haunted. It's all floating, so yeah. they have this like they have, they have these traps and mirrors like angled a certain way. Yeah, and I guess that's how they trap the the ghosts that are just floating or whatever. Uh-huh. But it's so I always thought like what was that? Like, like I want yeah. more of that part exactly because like uh, it was cool because it's like oh wow they're upgrading their gear. There are other ways. Well, to there are other ways ghosts. of doing it. Yeah. We. We don't touch on that again, sure. but it was really neat, and I, I've always wanted to know, like, what's the deal with that? And they all look cool because they were all wearing, like, Wayfarers in that scene. Yeah, because of the, the lasers the, and whatever. The lights, yeah. But um, there, there's the the scene with the jogger ghost, which you mentioned before. Yeah. Where they there's a jogger who's just running the, the jogging path, but... He's obviously a, a spectral uh, yeah. form, and he's not—he's kind of like pushy. But I, I always wondered, like, what was he doing wrong? <laughs> you <laughs> know, jerks faster than everyone. Kill him. Another quick thing that's in the montage is there's a there's a shot of Vankman and Spangler in Ecto One, just kind of like looking at each other, and then you see Vankman turn around and look, and then look back forward again, and then look like concerned and look back again. Yeah, because he runs a red. Ray runs a red light. Because there is this whole subplot with Ray where he gets possessed by Vigo. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But I think that may have been part of this. There was supposed to be a scene. Where Ray all of a sudden is possessed by Vigo when he's driving Ecto One and like like drives erratically and wrecks the Ecto One with them inside. Yeah. Trying to kill them, I guess, for yeah. Vigo. Well that's all but that was all cut out though. Right. So I think that may have been something that kind of foreshadowed that or yeah. was even part of that. that right. They cut out. They just put it in the montage. So Yeah. You gotta love a good montage. Do you like the Run DMC version of the Ray Parker Jr. song? Does it say Ghostbusters? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really like it, and it's very of the time. And uh, they do a new version, even of the commercial. It's very similar to the first movie, with even Dana like now instead of like practicing her cello, she's feeding Oscar, watching a tiny like thirteen-inch TV with the commercial. Sure. Uh, featuring uh, Janine and Lewis. Janine, who, as we mentioned before, looks very different. Well, she's not watching the commercial. It's uh, it's Kurt Fuller who sees the commercial. Oh, sorry. Dana watches the commercial in the first movie. Oh, I thought Daniel was watching it in this one, too. I think they're both watching it. Because Kurt Fuller looks at it and is like, ay, 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 these guys. I don't like them for some reason. But Dana's also watching the commercial because she smiles at hmm. them. She smiles because Peter does something on the commercial. And she's like, oh, that guy. Oh, Maybe Peter. I don't dislike him. Right. Very funny commercial, though. Like, any Potts is bad acting. Is wonderful. It's well. It's it's back to where like Ray wouldn't necessarily know how to do a character. Yeah, Lewis and and Janine would not know how to act. Exactly. So they act like they don't know how to act. Right, which, which is, is perfect. So funny. It's uh, great. Yeah. I'm really happy that Winston got to be a part of the commercial. Sure, sure. And he brings up, I believe, the free mugs and balloons that they're yeah, coming with yeah, every bus that goes. Yeah. Holy shit! I want that mug. Oh yeah. I yeah. would kill I, for that sh- mug. I'm sure that mug exists somewhere. It's got to, right? It's got to exist. Somewhere. I would. I would love. I would. I mean, I'm a big collector of dumb glasses, just because I don't know. 
just because because uh, I'm a collector <laughs> of dumb things. Hey, but it's fine, it's fine. Don't explain yourself to me. I, and, I know. and your audience, John. It's of fine. anybody, I really don't need to explain myself to you. But man, I would kill for that mug. And one of the last things to mention about the montage is that uh, Slimer shows up. He's eating Lewis's lunch. Ah, uh, yes. So this is the first time you see Slimer in the movie, and they also cut this out, which there is a scene of it in the deleted scenes where Lewis is secretly training to be a Ghostbuster. Right. Um, by trying to capture Slammer, who I guess is haunting the firehouse, which yeah. obviously would have been an immediate throwback to the cartoon. Right. Um, where Slammer just lives in the firehouse. But also could make a little bit of sense with the first one. All the ghosts were released. Slammer was the first one. Slammer was caught. like, I don't want to go out there. Do you remember the episode of the cartoon where we actually go into the world of the containment unit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slimer, that was weird. Uh, it was also an episode where Peter goes into the containment unit as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I remember the Slimer going in and like, it's really nice in there. Honestly, like, <laughs> it's not like a hellscape like I imagined it might be, or even just like darkness. No, what are you? T- it is a hellscape. It, it's like uh, I remember it, it was like red, but it had like structures and stuff. Like it, like the ghost could live there. It wasn't just like you're in a cage. Or it, whatever. It's like the purple and red cosmic nothingness you see like uh, ethereal beings in Marvel comics yeah. exist in. Like it's that. Oh, for some reason I remember it being like nicer. There might be buildings and structures inside as well. I, I don't. Maybe know. I'm just filling in the blanks because I wanted it to be pleasant for the ghost I feel like there. everyone's just kind of floating around in like a limbo. Oh, that's weird. You might be okay. thinking of another episode. But Maybe. I'm pretty possibly. sure that's what it is. But, but anyway, uh, so go, obviously Slimer got captured in the last one, so it kind of, you know, it, there's reason that he could be haunting it. But the, yeah, there was a whole subplot of Lewis chasing Slimer around and trying to catch him and trying to trap him again. Right, but you to, see him again and even Janine in the deleted scenes like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to catch the, the purple blob guy. I love they don't call him Slimer because yeah. they never give him a name. Yeah, um, He's called Slimer in the cartoon, but they don't go like all of a sudden, oh, it's Slimer. They, right. When Ray is teaching Winston how to use a containment unit, he says, we trap all the blah, 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 the Slimers. Right. But he didn't, he wasn't calling him Slimer. Right. Um, so that's the only time you kind of hear his name, but that's not really, he's not referring to him specifically. Right. So. Anyway, so I want to mention that that Lewis and Slimer is set up in the right. montage. Now Lewis works for them at the firehouse. He's I their accountant. Guess is their accountant. There's yeah. very little time actually spent at the firehouse. None of it's very like very little time. None of it's really like in the small area where like Vinkman had his office or Janine's like sits. the lobby area. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they park the Ecto One. It's a little bit upstairs. So yeah, we actually go to upstairs where now we get back to the the slime. We find out that Egon and Ray have been experimenting with it, <laughs> and and. In, in so many ways, uh, we they realize to now it that to it's. It. I think based on the experience at the courthouse, they thought, "Oh, it's psychoactive, negative, and positive energy." Sure, uh, affects this thing. And Vinkman makes the assumption that they've actually been. Uh, You're not sleeping with it, are you? Yeah. <laughs> and Winston's line is one of my favorites of the entire movie. It's. It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> you hound. <Yeah. laughs> so Egon has been fucking the slime. <laughs> Um, which is weird and gross. Right. Uh, but this is the famous... But so Egon, the, Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is the famous toaster scene where they drizzle a little inside a toaster. And play- foreshadowing uh, what you can do to an object if it's, you know, has positively charged slime inside yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, they play some Jackie Wilson. Okay. I believe uh, the song is called Higher and Higher. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, great song. And the toaster goes apeshit, starts dancing. And uh, they have a great time. And this is one of those scenes where it's just the four guys. And I'm so glad Winston's there for this. Right. It's the four guys just kind of hanging out. And that is a delight. I could honestly have 
the montage of them busting ghosts and then just them, the four of them hanging out and occasionally pop in on Dana because she's awesome too. Sure. But it's just great to watch them Those characters playing interact. off each other. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. And that's, that's again, what I love about Ghostbusters is I just love watching those characters interact. Yeah. So we get a bit more about like what the slime does. Again, that pays off way, way later yeah. in the movie. Peter goes to visit uh, Dana at the museum at this point and he, he checks in with the, this totally unnecessary scene. Yeah. Peter could have just showed up, you know, in front of Dana at her job, but instead he he checks in with like the the guy downstairs at the booth and asks where Dana is specifically. Yeah. And the guy, of course, is seeing World of the Psychic, and Peter's like, oh, a fan of my show, of course. And he's like, he's like, that's one of my two favorite shows. And Peter's like, what's the other one? Bassmasters. It's a fishing show. Yeah, yeah, I know Bassmasters. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's like offended. But I love his other that. favorite show is a fishing show. I like, love that touch. I love. I've always loved that scene. And yeah, oh, it's, it's great. Totally unnecessary, but. Absolutely, that just adds that little bit of flavor. And I think that's great because a lot of these side characters just really uh, demonstrate New York as its own oh, sure, character sure. of the movie, as definitely the first one had a lot of New York stuff. But obviously, a lot of this is about New York and how uh, it's sort of festering as a city. That guy is not a good example of that idea that the city is like crumbling and everybody hates each other because he's like, yeah, it's great. It would have maybe worked better for a plotline if he's like, yeah, you suck, man. I hate that show or something, but right. whatever, man. We It's probably like a friend of Bill Murray's that he's like, uh, <laughs> Ivan, put this guy in there. Give old Gus a line, would you? Um, but uh, yeah, v- Vinkman goes up, says hello to Dana. You're good, pretty eyes. Because she's yeah. wearing the magnification glasses right. while she's restoring the painting. Which uh, our dads are both, or we're both and uh, I jewelers think, at different points. Yeah, yeah, I think of my father restoring jewelry yeah. uh, my, is in my mother's pawn shop. Yeah. yeah, and that was another shot they used in almost every trailer was Dana with the visor. Yeah. Because it's interesting, I guess. Maybe she's doing technical Ghostbuster stuff. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Peter gets to meet Janosch. Uh, we get our first backstory on Vigo, Janos, of course, thinks he was like this wise and great leader and powerful, like, magician. powerful magician. Yeah. Dana is just like, oh, no, I don't like it. He creeps me out, which is understandable. Well, clearly Dana did some research because she says he was also a, a genocidal madman and yeah. murder and all that stuff. So Dana has done some reading, obviously, on this or, Vigo character. Or she just knows about him maybe, because he was based off of Vlad the Impaler. So maybe it's the kind of world where... Vigo is a Vlad type where everyone kind of knows about him a little bit. Like, I know who, you know, Vlad the Impaler is in the broadest sense. Sure, that he sure. Was, his name is Vlad the Impaler. Well, He's and, a bad dude. And, well, and if, if that were the case, then Venkman should know a little bit about him. Hanging Ma- on that's true. Hanging on all the time. So. That's true. Uh, but then again, you know, Peter's oblivious to those things, so maybe. And Janos's, like, handshake to Venkman is, like, the oh, worst, like, yeah, dead fish yeah. handshake. Like, he kind of, like, grabs fish. Limp, like... Grabs a tiny part of Venkman's finger. It's yeah, and also when Venkman lets go, he wipes. He very slowly wipes his hand on his shirt. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we have the first meeting of Venkman and Janos is meeting quote the boyfriend. Right. So obviously he's conversational to Peter, and now that he hates, he's making fun of Vigo, his master. Now it's like okay, well fuck this guy. Yeah. So but then basically Peter sees the painting for the first time, and Dana mentions this painting is freaking yeah. me out because I mean they they know about the slime. Now they know about Vigo, but they don't know the two are connected. Right. You have to remember that at this point. Watching it last night, I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a realization yeah. later on when they realize they're Yeah, because we connected. as the audience know that. Right, but they and don't that, know that. That is a problem of the story, which is like you, your audience should never be ahead of your heroes. And that is one problem is we all know that Vigo is bad news. 
we would assume because we're watching a movie and there's also a river of slime that the two are connected. Right. So we don't exactly know how, but I do think that maybe from a storytelling perspective, that is a weakness of this movie is that, uh, yeah, it takes a long time for our heroes to catch up to what we already know. So, um, hmm. but maybe you, maybe you disagree, but well, the slime, uh, the slime comes back immediately after this, we get the bathtub scene. Dana goes to, to give Oscar a bath and decides to take her shirt off too, I guess, so she doesn't get splashed by Oscar. Yeah, for some reason. Okay, yeah. I mean, it is kind of, even when I was a kid, I thought it was kind of gratuitous. Well, apparently she uh, ad-libbed that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm sure if one of us was a parent, we would probably know about oh, that I'm a little sure bit more. She literally was like, my life experiences, kids will splash you if they're bathing, yeah. so I'm going to take my shirt off. But uh, I thought that it kind of lent to more like, she's very vulnerable. She has her naked baby, and yeah. now she's in a state of undress. Right. And now the bathtub is this monster. So she's pouring the bath, and the water slowly turns into the pink slime yeah. and starts to fill up. I always thought, like, wouldn't she hear the difference? That it's not running I, water anymore? Same. Yeah, same. That, that's one thing that always got. Me. Maybe she was just focused too much on Oscar. She's not paying attention. Yeah, but she really around. looked like intestines in the in the tub yeah, too. By no, the way. To, yeah, yeah, totally does. That. Yeah, if, if you if it's you, cool. If you and I think I was a kid when I did this, but if you were to pour out shampoo into water, yeah. it kind of does the same effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the tub turns into a uh, slime-filled monster, basically a unlike undescribable monster. Yeah, it's like a blob, like a giant, with like a with like. Maybe indentations where the eyes would be, and like where the nose or mouth. But yeah, would be. it's almost like a hand puppet. Like it's the shape of like it probably was a hand <laughs> in the special effects department. But totally. But like it's kind of like a mouth almost grabbing yeah. for the baby, and she like understandably freaks the fuck out because it's. I actually, I was gonna say Sigourney's treatment of that scene was so good. Oh, it's like great. her it's terror textbook horror movie right here. She's excellent in this scene like it's one of the few scary scenes as we've mentioned before there's not a ton of frights in this movie and she her terror in this is so believable and her protectiveness over the baby this is what i'm saying about her her dimension and even in just this one scene just like her going from you know mother and i it's all tied into her motherhood her being protective and everything but she just plays it so perfectly and goes running to vinkman and the the effect of the bathtub going after her it's very creepy it is very creepy like the whole thing like lifts off the ground and you're kind of like oh i can only do so much yeah um so yeah it cuts to dana banging on peter's door uh, and the baby crying because there's distress. You know. And the only time the baby cries in the entire movie, by the way. Uh, That's yeah. a very well-behaved child. Well, there's two. If one was acting up, they'd be like, all right. Well, <laughs> time out for you. Bring the I'm, other one I'm going with the reality of the movie. Okay. Oscar, the okay. character fair enough, that fair these enough. two actors portrayed is a very tame baby. Well, this is also a very nice little bit of character... I don't want to say development, but like, uh, oh, that makes sense. Is Peter is awoken from his slumber on the couch... And there's just like empty beer bottles everywhere. Like the only time you see like beer referenced in the movie. Yeah. Where in the first one they're like drinking beers and like talking about beers. It's it's Miller time. Right. But like Peter is like woken up from his sleep, like, what the hell is this? And slowly walks to the door, but when it cuts to the door, you hear Peter has picked up speed. He starts running to the door because he realizes there might be an issue and lets Dana in. Dana says what just happened, the bathtub tried to eat her and, and Oscar. So she's like, oh, okay, you know, chill out. I'm going to call Ray and sneaks into the room and calls Ray and says, you know, well, her bathtub tried to eat her. And Ray, again, being the excited kid, he's like, really? That's great. I mean, that's terrible, but it's great for what we're, yeah, we can go over there. This is the first shot you get of the slime blower. Right. Egon, Egon is, is starting to put Egon's it together. Egon's working on the wand of the slime blower, which they use later to animate the Statue of Liberty. Right. And they're is, also, uh, I believe this is where they're, they're playing music for the slime. 
and I think they're this is where they're actually positively charging. Yeah, the slime. yeah, exactly. Which how do they uh, do they go back down? How are they getting more slime? Well, and during the montage, you see them collecting it. Oh yeah. So yeah, you yeah. assume that there's okay. just random slime samples. Okay, sort of like in collect. the first shot of the movie coming out from the sidewalk. Exactly, got it, got exactly. It, it. So, but also, I, I this might be kind of a throw to the first one, where the first time you see the uh, the the proton packs neutrino wand is when they're eating Chinese food. Right. Egon's and just kind of like he's working on it with, with some screwdrivers. Yeah. yeah. And actually, there's an earlier shot when they are talking about the slime originally uh, with the toaster scene. There's a version of the blower or whatever sitting there. I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, there. wow. I, I noticed that. And then this one, Egon is tinkering with it further. But So I don't know if those two scenes were flipped or what. I got to go uh, back and check that out. But uh, even I didn't pick up that. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so busy looking at the back for like, like there's a box of Cheez-Its, which there was historically one in the first Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. So trying to look in the background for like beer and stuff like that. A little that. weird. Things like that. So it's established that Egon and Ray are going to go check out Deanna's apartment. And, uh, you know, all the while, Venkman's like, you know, calm down, even though Dana should never want to take a shower again. Yep. Or, like, be alone or set foot in that apartment. She should never have real estate again. No, basically, yeah. You need to just sit in one place and just never move. So, but yeah, Venkman is obviously doing his best to put out the fire. That is the, the dangerous situation they were just in and goes into his Venkman shtick. You know, deciding like, which side of the bed exactly how sleep. what uh, what sleeping arrangements are going to be or whatever so yeah and it's great and he calms her down and you know he's, he's great with Oscar and all that stuff and and this he, is where he gets the line that was in every trailer which I didn't get the that there was a joke there until way later in life because Dana says uh, it's getting late I should really put him down and then he says may I you're short he puts uh, him down. Oh, I see. See, it's, I, I guess never, you didn't even get it. Yeah, yeah, no. that's a joke. Like I'll, I'll put him down. You're short. Your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor, poor mother. Yeah. I didn't get that joke until way later yeah, in I life. Yeah, like, I didn't get that joke yesterday well, when I watched it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So I guess Egon and Ray go to check out uh, Dana's apartment. They decide to meet up at the uh, museum, because that's, yeah. that's the next time you see them. And this is when we get our first info dump uh, from the guys on Vigo. We get to find out, you know, that he how long he lived. Vigo was 105 years old. Yeah, but he didn't die of old age. Didn't die of old age. Uh, what was he? Stabbed, drawn, quartered, stretched, hanged, disemboweled, sh- disemboweled. Yeah. And before his head died, there was a prophecy. <laughs> there was a prophecy. It said, "Death is but a door. Time is but a window. I'll be back." Something that I say way too often, <laughs> by the way. And um, always out of context. Yep, definitely. Clearly. I think when we're playing first-person shooter video games and one of us dies, sometimes we'll pull <laughs> that one out. respawn? Yeah, waiting for death is but a dark time. Oh, that kind of works. And that's not yeah. Cool. I never knew why Venkman wasn't also dressed in a Ghostbuster uniform. Again, I just assumed Peter stayed at his apartment with Dana all night, and they all came from the firehouse to go to the museum. He didn't met him there. Makes sense. Um, because yeah, now you have Winston and Winston's back there because it's now it's official Ghostbuster shit. So now Winston's there. Yeah. Um, sucking those guts guys. Sucking the, the Ghostbusters. <laughs> precisely. Precisely. So yeah. Something I also tell myself all the time. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I quote this movie so much where like someone doesn't like someone. Like I think Ray says of Janosch, like, who's this wiggler? And he says, he's yours, Ray. Sick, Sick him. <laughs> I say that way too much. I know you do. Peter's trying to get pictures of Vigo. I don't know why, but he's just taking pictures of the painting with the camera. Of course, he's acting like he's a photographer. And he's like, come on, baby, destroy me. Destroy me. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, they've, they've made the connection at this point because Peter told Ray and Egon about Vigo, that Dana was creeped out by this painting. It was recently unearthed, right around the same time that all this is happening. They look him up in uh, some source book. I forget the name of. I apologize. It's not. It's not Tobin's Spirit Guide. It's actually Magicians, Martyrs, and Madmen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think that's uh, so they look him up and they're like, "Oh, this Vigo guy is bad news." 
we should check it out. And actually, that's when Ray says, like, do you think it's connected? And Egon says, it's the line, atomic weight of cobalt. Uh, 58.9. Right, which is so fucking Egon. Which is like, again. Which is so got, fucking Egon. They got Egon so well yeah, in this. Yeah. And so they're starting to put together the two might be connected since the timing coincides. Right, which which is why they go to the museum. That I, I did right. a poor, I, I should have actually mentioned that's why they decided to go to the museum. Because they say, do you think they're connected? Yeah. He says, probably. Because so. they didn't really find any evidence at uh, Dana's apartment. Right. So. They know of the slime. They, they did find the slime residue around the tub, but there's no evidence. But all of a sudden, this Vigo guy is showing up, so they think it may be connected. Right. So they go there. Uh, Peter's taking pictures of Vigo. Uh, Ray's scanning it with a... Uh, yeah, um, something that's not the PKE meter. Something weird. Yeah, it's it's a weird, different tool that kind of looks like a like you put a canteen onto a stick. <laughs> I, I would I would totally agree. Like with the bottom or half a flask. Of the, or yeah, or yeah, a flask. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally. It looks like somewhere between like an old timey microphone and a flask. Yeah, and Ray staring into the eyes of Vigo, as we've established, that's her his conduit to people. Yeah, um, the windows to the soul, if you will, and he uh, opens up Ray's windows and walks on in. We don't get anything out of that because, as we've mentioned before, that's been cut for the most right. part. Well, it does reintroduce itself way later. Oh in the yeah, movie. yeah. But um, yeah, so so Vigo kind of realizes he can kind of like somewhat possess Ray, yeah, manipulate things because i guess can tell these guys are onto them they're a sure. threat but also before that happens there's a great part where uh janos is like blocking vigo so peter can't take pictures and winston just grabs him and literally pulls him out of the way <laughs> yeah and he, he says like slides are available in the gift shop ah! he <laughs> yeah. makes this great noise yeah. when winston physically removes him so good. he goes oh thanks winston so we uh yeah we get ray he's more possessed uh dana's not here she's taking the day off She's taking a powder yeah, after that to, experience. Yeah, needs, hang needs, out at Peter's. Yeah, she needs a mental health day. So to make her feel better, Peter says, we're going to dinner. We're getting out. And who's going to babysit? But our friend Janine, who we've barely seen up to this point. Absolutely. The reintroduction of Janine into the movie. And to me, that's one of the great scenes they didn't film is Peter convincing Janine to babysit for him. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen the interaction because for the little bit that Janine is in this movie, she's great. Annie yeah. Potts kills, kills it in this movie. She's so funny and her her comedic beats are just perfect. But she made a huge impression. Same goes for Rick Moranis. They both make a huge impression with very little screen time. Absolutely. I feel like. Because I remember clinging to their mini story uh, when I was a kid too. Uh, so Lewis, we've yet to see them on the screen together, these two characters, uh, but they're locking up for the night they're walking across the street and Lewis is timidly asking her out and she actually is into it and says she would love to but can't because she's got to babysit and invites him to come babysit as well and it's adorable and you realize like how well these two fit together yeah it's perfect it really and she is. goes she walks off and I love the moment where Lewis gets honked at and he starts like directing traffic yeah, as yeah. if that's what he was always oh, there to do. Great Rick Moranis just, character work. Just, uh, so he's, good. he's so phenomenal. Like she says, be at Peter's place at eight. And Lewis doesn't immediately know where Peter is. Well, so I get the address from the, yeah, like he yeah, starts he's, like thinking out loud. He's yeah. Like, yeah, like working out how to get it. So good. Does so perfect. so much with what he has. Like, an, I don't know. I don't want to say like, I, I won't say there aren't people talented like that anymore because that, that's not true. But there are people who can definitely get a lot out of a little part yeah. like that. Yeah. And Rick Moranis and Annie Potts as well. Like, oh my God. So they got good. so much out of that little bit that they were in in Ghostbusters too. Yeah. But well, before the actual date happens though, we do see Egon and Ray analyzing the, the photographs that Peter took. Oh, right, right, back right. Of the, back of the firehouse. And, 
when they get a really close shot of the Vigo's like head, you can see the river of slime behind him. Yeah. They're running through the spectral analyzer. Yeah, they put it through the spectral analyzer and it's a wonderful like beat of them just discussing what they want for dinner. Like what kind of pizza? Yeah. Yeah, It's like, well, they start stuff like, I don't know, uh, Chinese? Thai? Thai? Too spicy. Greek? Yeah, yeah. Mexican? Because they're regular dudes. Chicago or regular. That's what I love about it. It's just like, that's a moment that, I mean, shit, like anybody who's married knows that moment all too well. And they wouldn't talk about ghosts and ghosts all the time. Yeah, exactly. They would talk about other shit. Not sports, but other shit. Yeah, these are just dudes at the end of the day. And I love that because, uh, yeah, we we don't get any of their personal lives. They don't have personalized and like you said it's not all busting ghosts 24 7 for them it's it's, it's kind of like what quentin tarantino figured out with movies about hitmen they wouldn't talk about how they're hitmen all the time yeah, they exactly. would talk about everything else and then go kill people right you know totally I mean? totally uh so they do that and all of a sudden the pictures catch a fire pictures catch fire once they establish the connection between the slime and vigo so it's like oh shit but also slowly uh very slowly the the hinge the the deadbolt the bolt locks on the, yeah, locks on the door yeah the, everything lights up. They're it's on fire. They're trying to get out, and the door's locked. They're banging at the door. Luckily, Winston hears them, comes in fuck with a fire yeah. extinguisher, and saves them. Yeah, hell like, yeah. What the fuck just happened? I was always so awesome. like, I was like beam with pride when that happens. Like me too. Fuck yeah, Winston. I fucking love Winston love so Winston. much. It's I love okay. Ernie Hudson, and for him to get a true like. 100% unabashed hero moment is so great. Like, it's not like he saved them from a ghost. He's, we kind of did, but he saved them from fire. Like, yeah. He saved their That's lives. almost a more legitimate threat than the ghost. Sure, sure. Because the ghosts can be dangerous, but more often than not, they're not right. harmful. They're just, they're, just there. Yeah. <laughs> just, they're just scary. Right. Uh, so he saves them from an actual legitimate threat. Apparently, this was a reshoot. Uh, I came to find out that oh, this wow. was a scene where Ivan Reitman and the rough cut this and another scene that we're about to get to where Ivan Reitman was like, Oh, I'm focusing too much on the Peter Dana romance. And there's not enough like chills and thrills in this movie. There's not enough like danger. Like he felt like the stakes had sort of like lowered. And I honestly think that this was a perfect scene to raise the stakes. Cause it's like, Oh shit, they're getting close. They say it also. They're like, we must be getting close. Something's trying to keep us from right. fight from uncovering this. So that was yes, really cool. Later on the tunnel, yeah. and then hell yeah, we get a fucking Winston moment. I always thought that scene ended kind of abruptly though, because he busts in, he extinguishes the fire, and then it just is yeah, over. Yeah, no one says anything. Like yeah, he comes in, that, puts the fire out. There's no like, oh my god, thank god, we gotta figure out what's happened. We gotta go to the museum. We gotta do yeah, what? I, it's just it happens. Or like even like uh, you know he does that, and then he's like, all right, so what do you guys want for dinner? Or something like that sure, would have been like sure. a good button for the scene, but there is no button. It's weird. Yeah, so we go straight from that to uh, I'm pretty sure Peter outside the apartment, apartment waiting for Dana to come down. The guys come like pull up. The guys show up, and we we find out through the deleted scenes there was. That was a reshoot because there's another one where they they go to Peter's apartment upstairs in yeah. his doorway. Basically, all the same lines are there, like um, uh, you know, huge slam-related incident, uh, breeding surge in the cockroach population, all that stuff. It's almost beat for beat, only slight differences because you can tell Bill Murray was a little loose with his lines. But basically, they're trying to convince him, and he looks over at Dana. But it's the first time you see Dana, yeah. so she comes out, you know, looking killer in that green dress that she's got. And all the guys kind of notice how much, like how attractive Dana is, and, and and Ernie Hudson has this great line, which it's almost a shame they didn't go with this because he nails this line, which is he ain't coming. 
<laughs> it was so good. I la- I LOL'd. Yeah. I LOL'd when I heard that. I was glad to hear that you also had the same experience because he he nails that line. And it's like, man, I wish that was in the actual movie. Yeah, they still could have done it. Yeah, yeah. They still could have had that line, but either they cut it, forgot it, something. Mm. Uh, but I will say that this is definitely an example where I'm glad they reshot it, even though we are missing that line. Because I thought that the scene is basically like two shots. Like one shot of them at the door and then one shot looking into Peter's apartment. It is shot... I hate to say it, but horribly. Like it looked yeah, bad. Yeah, I was. I was. We talked about the the directing wasn't great. Like, yeah, it was kind of well, just that's the, the cinema, frame. Yeah, the cinematography was really off in that. That's totally what it is. But also, I think they feared like, man, we have like three locations in this movie. Yeah, this is gonna have to be outside. Yeah, and and honestly, the I agree with that because being outside in real New York is so beautiful. Yeah, and it's shot really well. It's actually one of the best shot scenes in the movie, in my opinion. Sure. The fact of the matter is, Peter and Dana are going to go do their own thing. The boys are going to go underground. And in another reshoot scene, we get probably the scariest scene of the movie. They're underground in an unused subway line. And it's very dark. And it's just the three of them. It's quiet. They, for some reason, don't have their proton packs. For some, for some reason, they're, like, razzing Winston, trying to make him more, like, freaked out about the situation. Yeah. I don't know why they're teaming up on Winston Because like he's that. like, oh, at least you can't see the cockroaches. Because they're complaining about how dark or it is. the rats, yeah. And then, and then Ray's like, oh, it's not the cockroaches you got to worry about. It's the sewer rats. Yeah. Like, those are Biggest the ones. Divas. There's probably thousands of them behind the walls. And Winston's like, okay, fuck you guys. But eventually, <laughs> they get to a point where I don't even know why, but they start saying hello down there. Ray just says, hello. And, and, and it he gets an echo. echo. Yeah. And this is probably my favorite scare of the movie. And then Egon says, hello, hello, hello. And then Winston says, hello. And it's dead silent for like five seconds. And then it comes back, Winston. <laughs> Which that's probably, it's either Max von Sydow or uh, probably Frank Welker, let's right. say. But that's when I love Winston's reaction. Like, let's go get our packs. It could be Max Van Sydow. It could have been Vigo's voice. I think it is Vigo's voice. Because if you think voice. about it, it kind of does sound similar. Yeah, I never thought of it before, but when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, oh, I think that's actually Vigo. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, they're about to turn around. They're about to go get the packs, and all of a sudden, uh, is it first the heads show up? There's heads on pikes yeah. surrounding them. Yeah, which is really And again, freaky. it gets really creepy. Yeah. yeah. It's really scary. Obviously, that voice, like the, the echoing and then the echo dies, and then it comes back and yells his name, that was already a great scare. Then you got the the visceral look of all these severed heads on pikes. They're freaking out, and they're like, all right, fuck that. We're going back to the car. We're going to go get the proton packs that we should have already had. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, they hear a train down the line, and they're like, what's that? Like, must be one from above us because these train lines haven't been used in decades. And then all of a sudden, a, lo- a ghost locomotive comes through. And back to my point about ghosts being mostly ineffective of, as actual, like, danger, uh, an entire ghost train goes right through Winston <laughs> and doesn't hurt him at all. It just kind of freaks him out and kind of makes his hair go crazy. Right, makes his hat pop off. Which is kind of funny. But, yeah, it's like, it's a nice scare scene. And apparently this was another moment that they reshot. Because I think otherwise it would have just cut to them going straight into the pneumatic tube area. Sure. And I'm really glad they have this. This is one of my favorite scenes from the movie. It's great. And it's just the three of them. Like, there's not Venkman being, making this scene about Venkman. Yeah. So it's nice that it's the three of them. Because Venkman never actually gets scared. So we would not have lived in the fear of the moment had we not been so focused on Winston being scared. And maybe that's why Vigo targeted him specifically. But uh, it was great. And all of a sudden, Ray... It's a little flimsy because Ray just like vanishes during that. I, I guess when back. Ray ducks out of the way, oh, he, he finds covers an old like mine shaft. Yeah. is what he says. The entrance. Yeah, he's like, oh man, there's a hole. I found it. There's a hole. Yeah, so they go find it. They end up in the pneumatic tube. 
which is where station. Ray initially was in the beginning of the yeah. movie. Where the same exact set. Yeah. Where he Again, finds the river of slime. Beautiful set. Yeah. They are like, oh wow, great, we found it, cool, bro. Like, see how deep it is. And yeah. Winston lets loose this little. It's like a. It's like a film roll. <laughs> it's like a film reel. Yeah. But it's like this measuring uh, tape just to see how deep it goes, and he's like, you know, six feet. Seven feet, twelve feet. They're like twelve feet. It's like something's pulling it, and of course it's attached to his belt. Yeah. And once it gets to the to it's the like end, pulling really fast. Now it drags him into the yeah. river of slime. And I know it has a weight at the end, but I always thought like, yeah, no shit, it's gonna get dragged along. That's like a really thick ooze. Yeah, like, yeah, no shit, that's gonna get pulled. Viscous substance. Yeah. yeah. So he gets pulled in, and one of the not so great visual effects of the movie, <laughs> where he just sort of like vanishes into the slime. Well, no, he, in a flash. He, well, he he falls, yeah, falls into it, and then they see him down the way. Yeah, also kind of dragged, and he's yelling, and he flies away. But I love that Egon and Ray don't even hesitate. They yeah. look at each other, and they dive right in to go get him. I was not yeah. like. I gotta go save the buddy. And I don't know about you, but that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Because I'm like, not only do you not know where this thing goes, like, who knows what the fuck that is in there? Oh, and, sure, and that shit sure. was grabbing at you earlier, right? That's this true. Th- that is that, true. That's... They're lucky that it didn't go like, oh, it's Ray. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. why didn't, <laughs> if Vigo is in control of this stuff, like, if why they the made hell? it? If they made it now, I think that would be <laughs> yeah. what happened. They yeah, battled yeah, yeah. some sort of slime monster. Right. It would have been a whole set piece. But sure. this is also intermittently, we're seeing Dana and Peter on their date. It's lovely. They're discussing their past. Why didn't they get married? And why did she leave him? And it's because he refused to grow up. And over the course of this movie, he kind of does and finds a fathership role with Oscar and finds a new understanding with Dana. But it's a nice scene. But I can understand why they wanted to add like the spooky stuff in between because otherwise it would have just been like a pretty dry scene. Uh, between these two people who are great performers and great characters, but... Sure, well, it, it accomplishes both. Like, you, you have to move the plot forward. There has to be spooky ghost stuff, but also Peter and Dana are together. Yeah. So it makes sense that while they're on a date, the other guys are doing the Ghostbusters right, stuff. Right, right. The guys eventually, I guess, reach the end of their magical mystery tour down the the, the slime slide. <laughs> right. Uh, end up outside in front of the museum. They're covered in the shit. Ray and Winston, who have been best of buddies this entire time, are all of a sudden at each other's throats. They're about to throw down. And Ray, watch out before you try to fight Winston. Yeah, really? He would like, beat your ass. Winston would destroy Ray in a fight. I always thought that was yeah. funny watching it. Even as a kid, I was like, oh, Winston would beat up yeah, Ray. Yeah, because especially once they like take the, the outer covering off and they're down right. to their coveralls or the the underwear underneath. It's like, Winston Winston's fucking jacked, right? And and Ray is just a you know kind of fat dude. Yeah. Um. He's so it's like, stupid, I'll punch your lights out. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, uh huh. Um. Well, luckily, Egon immediately realizes what's going right. on and says, uh, "Take off your clothes because yeah. the, the slime is quote pure concentrated evil and it's flowing right to the spot." And it's they look up and it's the another it's, nice shot, which is yeah. kind of pans out a bit and it's the museum, Dana's the museum. three of them looking up at it. Yeah, that's a great shot and. Yeah. uh uh, yeah, it's a great shot, but this was a, apparently another scene they had to reshoot. They had to shoot it twice because I guess they shot it. It was freezing cold in January in New York, and they're covered in this very uncomfortable substance. Sure. And something happened to the, the film. It got fucked up somehow. Oh, my God. And so they were like, oh, my God, we got to go back and get climb back into that hole because that was a real sewer line, obviously. Uh, so that sucks for them that they had to do it <laughs> twice. But that's another one of those scenes. I think if it's shot outside in real-ass New York, it's going to look great. And oh, sure. that's that's a scene that's shot in real-ass New York, and it looks, guess what, phenomenal. 
Uh, but then the boys all go running to Peter. How they knew where they were, I don't know. As well, he, he tells them where they're going to basically get dinner. I guess they kind of assume oh, okay. there's well, a spot where he takes women or something like that. Oh, okay, maybe. Uh, but they go back to the place. It's a fancy restaurant. They breeze right in. They're still in their underwear, covered in slime. They're explaining it to him. They're all talking a mile a minute all over each other. Peter's like, whoa, guys, slow it down. You're what scaring the, f- the straights. He's scaring the straights. Yeah. And they're like, it's to the museum. And then Ray flings his hand over. <laughs> and a bunch of slime hits a lady. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry. Dan Aykroyd is extremely Canadian in this. I was going to say, he has about five or six sorries. Yeah. That's the only one that sounds Canadian. The other yeah. ones he was watching out for, and he says, sorry. Yeah. But that one, he goes, sorry. Like I feel like there were a couple other moments where I was like, oh, yeah, you can really hear yeah, his Canadian he's, he's accent Canadian. coming through. All The police get brought in, and for some reason, Peter also gets arrested. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, quickly, um, the Ghostbusters explain exactly what's happening. The slime is flowing to Vigo. Vigo's controlling it all. So now Dana knows what's going on. So she's right. she's got speed as, as well as Vankman. The police show up to arrest them. But yeah, for some reason, and we, we know that Peter is arrested because when Dana comes back to Peter's apartment where Janine and, and uh, Lewis are, are babysitting, they're like, where's Peter? And he goes, well, he was arrested. And Janine goes, typical. Oh my God. I, I was going to say that. That's another line that I say. Actually, probably more than anything in this movie is anytime, typical. Anytime I say typical. I will always have that uh, inflection on it. Yeah. So that movie obviously left a big impression on me. But um, so yeah, Peter's arrested, even though he's well, regularly dressed and not freaking out. Actually, I'm just remembering now. They don't immediately go to jail. They're taken to the mayor. So Peter went with them to go speak to the mayor. They were they were arrested because Dana leave did doesn't go with them, so she yeah. leaves. So she knows that they've been arrested. Oh well, I guess the Ghostbusters convinced the cops to take them right. to the mayor, so they can which, talk to them. They end up at Gracie Mansion, and we we get our uh, our Bobby Brown song, which oh, is the uh. the lead single from the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Our attempt at replicating the success of Ray Parker Jr. Sure, on our own. A great song, by the way. I fucking love this song. Oh, it's great. In GTA 5, this song will just randomly play. <laughs> Hell yeah. I hear this, this song awesome. like out and about. I was uh, in Vegas uh, for 4th of July weekend recently, and I was at a very like hip restaurant. Uh, Roy Choi's restaurant, Best Friend, almost painfully hip. Great food. And they have a DJ, and they were playing a lot of like 80s, 90s jams. And as we're leaving, I hear this fucking song Hell on our own yeah. playing. And I was like, is this like a different version of the song so i waited to hear they're called the ghostbusters and they're in control and i was like sure enough it's that same song yeah. and i'm like why are we in vegas in 2019 at a very hip restaurant <laughs> listening to a song about the ghostbusters it's because it's a badass song because it's a badass song it uh didn't reach number one like ray parker jr's song did it reached number two on the billboard hot 100 it number one in my heart it, beaten only by prince's bat dance Oh, no. Yeah, How do you no, fight Bat Dance? I know, for real. Which, actually, Bat Dance is a... I know I've discussed this on the show before. Bat Dance is a weird fucking song. I don't know why it made it to number one other than Prince, but... Uh, the last but- time I said Bat Dance out loud, by the way, I was at a bar, and uh, there was a complete stranger choosing music out of one of the machines or whatever. Yeah. But it was like... It was showing like random songs that you can play or whatever and one was bat dance showed up on the screen okay and the guy was trying to select what songs he was gonna do and i <laughs> told the stranger please tell me you're about to play bat dance <laughs> major motion picture batman and he was like <laughs> and then he played something else you played something else, he played stone like, temple pilots or some shit no probably like, that would have been great uh, it reminded me the the number two of it reminded me of uh, bruce springsteen because i'm reading his autobiography right now and he's i'm right at the point where uh, born in the usa just came out obviously their biggest hit dancer in the dark is their biggest single ever it only reached number two on the billboard hot 100 and what beat it Prince, again, repeat offender, when doves cry, which 
I got to give it to that song. That song is fucking phenomenal. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. So that's a very cool song. That's yeah. like one of the coolest songs. Oh yeah, it's so weird. There's nothing like it ever. Uh, Dancing in the Dark, though, also a great fucking song. It deserved to be number one. I think any other time in history, it would have made it number one. But well, there are plenty of people that are number one and they shouldn't be, but it's because what was around at the time. Yeah. But there, you know, when you have great songs up against great songs, yeah. only, there can be only one. Yeah, so. and the and the true winner is all of us because sure. at the same time, Born in the USA and Purple Rain were on the topping the charts. Like that's fucking amazing. Well, it's like Led Zeppelin never won a Grammy, but who gives a fuck? Yeah, nobody does. You know? <laughs> so anyhow, Bobby Brown, great song. Go listen to it. Uh, that's our second of three Ghostbuster theme songs in this movie and actually Bobby Brown gets a quick cameo I say not only do we get the song but Bobby Brown is like the doorman yeah at, at Gracie Mansion at Gracie he, Mansion and he's like Ghostbusters right this way fellas the thing was like it was it was really a cameo like it yeah. wasn't forced I mean it, it's a little forced but it, it's it's just a little you know little conver- a short conversation on the way to something yeah. so it's not like this long drawn out scene where right. someone's in it like, Which I, I feel I, like in the new Ghostbusters, they go way too far with all the cameos. Oh, my God. oh speaking of cameos, there's plenty of cameos coming up that we oh, haven't even talked about. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. But I, hour four is the cameos. Yeah. <laughs> but I do agree that, like, this cameo is like a perfect style cameo. Just enough. Just and, enough. enough for him to, you know, not feel like he's wasting his time on a movie set. Yeah. You know, he gets a few lines in there. It's his song is playing. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I had no idea who Bobby Brown was at that point. I knew. I, I, I did. I was pretty big into hip hop and rap back in, the, yeah. back in those days. Yeah. I didn't know who he was, so I didn't recognize him. So I just thought he was like just another actor. Sure. So I never thought he was out of place. And I think it's cool because every once in a while you do get to show that like people know who these guys are. These guys are celebrities. So it's a nice way of getting that across in a just simple, elegant way. And he does a good job too. He does. He's I, not bad either. That's what I'm saying. Is like I never was like, oh, that guy's weird. He's, he's not very he's good. Out of place. Yeah, so. it's not like if a kid were to watch the Muppet movie now and like Dom DeLuise or whatever shows up and it's in a, like a five second cameo and they're like, like, what the fuck? Who's this? That's, it's kind of like Phil Collins and Hook, where it's like this is a cameo yeah. that's unnecessary and I'm not sure how good Phil Collins is yeah. right now. That was okay though because it was so brief, but it was just like weirdly out of place. It's kind of like Phil Collins is a detective. So and I always thought Phil, Phil Collins and Bob Hoskins like lived in the same space physically. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they kind of look and sound a little similar. Sure, so like, sure. anyway, I, I thought I it was, see that. at first I thought it was Bob Hoskins. Anyway. Um, so in a, in a scene that's basically ripped from the first Ghostbusters movie, the Ghostbusters meet up with the mayor again, but I mean, they were right the first time. So this time they're telling the mayor, not so much like there's a, well, I guess they do. Do they even mention Vigo? I think more so they talk about the slime. Yeah. And how it's negatively charged because New York is just so shitty. Right. Because everyone's so mean to each other. To it's, which the mayor takes offense to that personal right. offense. Of course, and, and rightly so. I mean, he, he is the mayor. Of, you're insulting the mayor's city. Yeah. So and he basically says, like, do you want me to go on TV and tell people to be nice to each other? Like, treating everyone like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. Great line. So it's not like it's not like they're going like Vigo's dangerous. Help us go stop him. Well, there's nothing for them to really stop right now. Exactly. They, so they know like something is they, on the horizon. But. Well, they know that the slime exists. They know Vigo is probably the the source of it. But they don't know that Vigo's ultimate plan is to get Oscar. Right. So they, th- they think he's just fucking with Dana, but they don't know that actually Vigo wants Oscar. Yeah. So they don't know that aspect. They, they don't know that there's a ticking clock and it's it's right. midnight on New Year's Eve. Yeah. So they're kind of like, oh, we'll explain to them. Because they even talk about like, we'll go to the press and we'll talk about how the mayor is covering this up. And 
And that's when Jack, Kurt Fuller, is like, oh, okay, well, before you do, you want to talk to some people downtown? And, of course, it's a trick to get them all right. committed. Of course, their, their, their doctor in charge is... Is Brian Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle Murray, another Murray. Yeah, another um, cameo. One of... Uh, one of our, like, we got two more cameos coming up. I got a few cameos. So, yeah. But Brian Doyle Murray, easily the second most popular Murray <laughs> actor. so brother. much like Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Same I, hairline, same everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Brian Doyle Murray. He's, oh, he's, he's great. one of my faves. But, uh, and as a kid... I I was confused because, again, I thought that the judge was also a Murray brother. I'm like, Jesus, there's a lot of guys that look like Bill Murray in this movie. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. Uh, so, yeah, we cut to uh, the Ghostbusters have been committed. They're all wearing straight jackets, of course. Uh, Ray Winston and Egon are all, like, ranting and raving and like, you don't understand. Like, this is dangerous. And They're literally saying exactly what's happening, and it's all true. But Peter, but if, when you take it outside of the context of the actual movie, they all sound like fucking right. lunatics. And Peter's smart. He's just quiet, not saying anything. And then it goes to, like, them actually, like, sitting down like, an interview room talking to uh, uh, Brian Dole Murray who's like tell me more about the slime and they're saying accurate things but insane things and it's like it's it, not it also made our toaster dance yeah, yeah. and all this stuff like we wanted <laughs> and, and to and his friend tried to eat his friend's baby like yeah <laughs> like the bathtub tried to eat his friend's baby yeah and all that stuff so and then it gets to Vankman and he's like don't look at me I think these people are completely nuts yeah and it's like well maybe they should just let Vankman go and but meanwhile no. in a different movie Louis Tully and, uh, and Janine are babysitting Lewis yeah, gives the yeah. most hilarious description of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs I've ever heard. We're talking about them <laughs> being in like a limited partnership, which is really good because they don't have to pay them taxes or right. for insurance and all that stuff. And he says something like something else technical when he says, which I don't think is a very good idea, but the purpose of the story, it's okay. And it's like, <laughs> God, God damn. Again, it goes back to someone doing a lot with nothing. Yeah. And then he puts the baby down. Janine, she's kind of feeling a little sexy. He wants to play games. He even brings up to once again, bring up our uh, soon to be eclipsed in time, uh, Super Mario Brothers episode. He actually says, uh, do you want to play Boggle or Super Mario Brothers? Oh, he says Mario. Yeah, so they got Mario because yeah. Darren and I had a Mario versus Mario question last time. But no, she's not about that. She's about some hanky panky. Uh, so she and Lewis start making out because she's, I guess, wants to get pregnant by him or something. Which I always thought was kind of odd for Janine. But if you actually watch one, like she's hot for she's Egon, hot for Egon the Egon entire for time, mm-hmm. not as like sexually. Yeah, we can tell on this one she's just like I know that if I if I hold this crystal ball a certain way or like, you know, yeah. put my leg over his leg, like I can take this dude, which it is a little incongruous with the rest of the movie, but it's fun. I'm glad it's there. I enjoy it. Uh, it's just something for Janine to do. Yeah. That isn't ghost busting related. Yeah. So it works for me. So we're cutting back and forth between the boys getting institutionalized and everything. Dana gets back to the apartment, finds them mid hanky panky. I love her exasperation because she just wants them to fucking leave. Right. And leave her alone. And they're like, no, 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 we'll stay. And she's like, great. Well, what's great is like she goes and checks on Oscar and then they're like, they go back to making out. I know. And it's like, well, stop making out now. Guys, come on. Is Janine turned on because she's in her employer's house or something? Is that why she's so sexually active? Who knows? It's funny. She's just in heat. Meanwhile, Janos is back at the museum talking to Vigo. Vigo's like, go get the baby. It's finally time at the strike of midnight, yada, yada. Janos goes off. We cut back to Dana at the apartment. She's literally saying, guys, you don't have to be here. I'm good. I'm good. 
We cut to Oscar in the bedroom. Well, who's well, awake. Well, very quickly, before we get to there, when it's the last time that like Vigo's like, all right, go get me the baby. And Dallas is like, one thing, if I were to bring you the baby, can I have the woman? <laughs> Basically, like, wants oh, yeah, yeah. for himself. His quid pro quo with Vigo. Right, and Vigo says, so be it. Um, He's like, so, fine. So now, <laughs> Jesus, well, man. now... Now uh, Janos has some motivation. Where he gets yeah. he gets Dana out of the equation. So right. So we see Oscar. He's in bed. Suddenly, the window of the room he's in opens by itself. We've not established yet that Oscar can even walk. That he's mobile on his own. But I don't think he is. I think it's the the ghost kind of got him out there. Okay. Because Dana, all of a sudden, her mother sense tingles. And she goes and checks on him. He's not in the room. She looks out on the uh, the balcony, or not the balcony, but the ledge. Oscar's very precariously standing, like, eight stories up. Right. Which, like, even I know it's visual effects. I know it's not real. It's a movie. But it's still, like, to this day, gets me anxious. It's still anxious, especially when Dana just crawls out on the ledge to go get him. Yeah. But I think the point was to get him on the ledge because Dana had to see Janos take him. Oh, yeah, So yeah. she would go to the museum. Yeah, obviously. Because, again, they need both of them. Because Janos... For some reason, be- be- <laughs> become, the creepiness. becomes a ghost, and not just any ghost, but like a Mary Poppins slash like Nurse Ratched ghost, yeah, something like a weird timey woman old, caretaker. Yeah, it's, it's like really he has strange. a wig and everything. Yeah, it's, it's very odd, a uh, creepy, like scary stories of telling a dark, yeah, timey nanny. I love the way it looks, and sure. especially when he like stretches his arm out, Mr. Fantastic style, mm-hmm. and brings the baby back. Uh, really creepy looking. Yeah. Another good moment of like, whoa, then it's that's just something. Floating away. So you assume people just see a baby floating through the air. <laughs> yeah. He's a ghost. Yeah. Which, which begs the question, why does Ray need the little spectro analyzer goggles to see the jogger when we can all see the jogger? No problem. Normally. I guess maybe he wore them just in case or whatever. Uh, maybe, or, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so they have the baby now. Dana sees it's Janos and she's like, fuck that. I'm going straight to the, uh, to the museum. And I love that because she doesn't even bother. She she tells Lewis and Janine to because get the guy. she's tough. Yeah. She's like, she, I'm going to get my... She literally says, I'm going to get my baby back. Yeah. What I think is weird here is that Janine and Lewis do not go yeah. help her. They just stay at the apartment. They go, we got to find the guys. Yeah. Because they don't know that they're committed at this point. Right. But it's a good thing that they do stay behind because otherwise that would have been problematic. Had they all ended up at the uh, at the museum and locked up, it would have been tough to get the right. boys out. Never right. So at this point, the boys are locked up. We don't know where they're at. And we get another ghost montage, much like the moment in the first movie where there's a ghost montage, uh, where shit's going awry, ghosts flying out of theaters, the ladies' mink coat, and a gag that was meant for the first movie that they recycled for this one and finally got to use, where she steps into slime and her, her mink coat comes alive. And very creepy, especially with like all the little mink heads, right? Like crawling and down just, the street. And she takes the coat off, and it just goes down the street. It's like, yeah. well, where did that thing? End yeah, up? I mean, I wonder that about a lot of the ghosts in the first movie too. Like that taxi driver the ghost. Taxi driver ghost. Like, yeah. where did he take that? Did he just do the fair? Well, to like, me, did he just like get him to his destination? But <laughs> no, was he it like wrecks a... instantly. Oh, does he? No, 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 no. He I thought he just like pulled around, he, and the guy he, was like, "Whoa, he hits God!" Hits a car, and then he drives away. So I guess yeah. technically he does keep. Going, it's just like but. a crazy taxi situation where it's like, "Oh, he's gonna be stressed out," but the guy's gonna get where he needs to go. To me, the bigger threat than Vigo in this montage is this gigantic ghost that's yeah. in like, that archway. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, what, what was, that thing? What the up? fuck was that? The ghost of before it died? Because most know. of the people, like the Scalari brothers, are slightly larger than human, but like 
They're ultimately humanoid. Sure. Like, what the fuck was that thing? What was this was ghost of a Godzilla monster Yeah, or that was crazy. Oh, the Titanic obviously shows you up. You get that, you get the Titanic, which that's the Cheech, Cheech Marin, Marin cameo. Yeah. Which is just like, Cheech Marin's in this? And well, anytime I say better late than never, I also um, say it there you go. better late than never. Better late than never. Great cameo by him. But also, they put, like, no focus on it. And it is just, like, such a brief cameo. It's just Cheech Marin. It's yeah. almost like, why isn't the other guy Tommy Chong? <laughs> you know Basically. what I mean? Like, why? That that, that, that would have been too much. I yeah, think. maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, the one thing I was going to say about the scene is when it begins, we're going into a song, much like the uh, It's a Kind of Magic, or not It's a Kind of Magic, that's a Queen song. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the yeah. song at the beginning of the montage in the first movie, which is great, and I have no idea who did that song, and I need to find it right now. Anyway, as all the shit is going down, Dana goes to the museum. She's about to grab Oscar. He's on, like, an altar uh, surrounded by candles. Janos makes his pitch being the the mother and father of the leader of the world, the ruler of the world, rather, uh, would have its benefits, free parking. It's New York. You're going to want that free parking. Absolutely, man. I mean, shit, if I could bring a Vigo into my life and get free parking anywhere in L.A., that'd save me a lot of money. But eventually, Dana gets thrown into a cage and locked away because... Uh, ultimately, Vigo's power is too strong. When she tries to grab Oscar, he uses his mystical abilities to throw her away. Oh, and also the slime comes around the museum. Yeah, it and makes a giant shell. Makes yeah. a shell for it. And the timing gets really confusing because then it cuts to daytime. This is the next day. Dana's, Dana was there overnight, which yeah. I, I never realized before. Yeah, same. So yeah, so, so Dana, Dana's there overnight because the, the Ghostbusters are still incarcerated at this point. Right. Um, but then I think you get about halfway through the next day. No, it would have to be the whole day because it's almost midnight. So, yeah. So, basically, the entire day, Dana is locked away. Yeah. And the Ghostbusters are incarcerated. Shown out. So, I guess the next, like, evening is when the Ghostbusters get broken yeah, out. Yeah, it's so. like a full 24 hours before they finally get her out of there. Yeah. Uh, we cut to the war room where we get the uh, a couple more cameos. We get Ben Stein with, like, a one-line cameo. And uh, Oscar-nominated Philip Baker Hall. Philip Baker Hall, And yeah. also, like, one line. I was like, whoa, what the fuck's that guy doing? I've never noticed him before. I was like, what the fuck is that guy doing in this movie? Uh, <laughs> but everyone's freaking out. It's much like the, the scene in the first one where everyone's freaking out in the mayor's war room. He comes in. He's like, I had a conversation with LaGuardia all last night, and he's been dead for 50 years. Right. Uh, classic. And uh, in this, he says, I don't want to be known as the mayor that let New York City fall into the 10th level of hell. A line that's in the trailers, but Ray's saying it. Because we're back into like reshuffling, reshooting territory. Because that was originally set outside of the museum. Right. In the deleted scenes, you see that's basically this, it's like bits and pieces of different conversations. They all happen in one conversation outside yeah. of the museum later on. But. Right. And Kurt Fuller in that same scene tries, he's like, oh, I can get this slime. I can get rid of it. He gets sucked into the slime. And dies, apparently. And dies. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that was a little harsh for him. He's a dick, but he didn't deserve to go like that. Also, do you remember the shot of like the shoes falling on the ground? It looked very hokey. It did look hokey. You can tell it wasn't like complete. True, but I still think like if they would have used that shot of the shoes, it would have been like mm, yeah. that doesn't look great. This movie's not real. Um, but I'm sure they probably got the note like, how did the Ghostbusters even get out of jail or whatever out of the institution? institution yeah. uh, but in this scene. Uh, the mayor says, give me the Ghostbusters. Kurt Fuller says, uh, problem with that. I had him institutionalized. The mayor fires him and says, get those guys out, whatever it takes. Right. And they notice that, like, outside weird things are happening. Right. Outside, there's a big eclipse. Yeah. 
And I think that's the only way they could bridge the daytime and night because everything they shot by the museum was at night. Sure. So I feel sure. like that was their way of like bridging the two. Well, so that, that happened be... in the first one too, where yeah. there was kind of eclipse and and what time of day it is is kind it's of like, weird. What? Yeah. But whatever. Ghostbusters are out. They get out. Uh, Lewis picks them up from the the loony bin. Well, it makes sense because who knows how long it would have taken to rig the. Uh, the uh, Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And like how long that would have actually taken. I've got, to walk I've got across yeah. to get there. We'll, got, we'll, we'll get, we'll get. Yeah. There. I got a lot of questions about that. Sure. But sure. they but, go, they but, go to but the museum. Also, but also that, that what you said earlier about like, how do the Ghostbusters get out of incarceration? Cause Lewis picks them up. Maybe originally Lewis was supposed to find them. Oh, maybe. And yeah. get them out. But yeah, Lewis, uh, we, we cut to Lewis getting the Ghostbusters out, explaining to them that Oscar was taken. <laughs> then Ray hits us with this this very quick, in case everyone's not up to speed, here's what's happening. Where he's explaining what's happening, but really he's explaining to the audience right. what's happening. Uh, so they go to the museum. They pull out their packs. Everyone's excited. Uh, even though it's supposedly in the morning or something of New Year's Eve. Everyone's dressed in New Year's Eve garb. It's probably after noonish, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, but everyone's still, like, collected in full New Year's Eve getup. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why are you guys here so early? It's like a um, giant Jello mold. Yeah. I hate Jello. Come on, there's always room for Jello. Uh, they pull out the proton packs. They try to shoot the wall, and sure enough, it's impenetrable. And they determine they're out of options. They're out of luck. There's nothing that can get through this thing. Uh, except for, you know, a force of positive energy that is impossible to find. What they need is, like, something powerful. Something decent, something pure. Which is funny because they all have, this somehow all have the same insane thought, which is, we'll animate the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> right, right. Because they notice on the Ecto-1 license plate, the, right, the, statue the Statue of Liberty. So they go to the Statue of Liberty. Well, hold on. Uh, during during this happening, Dana, uh, Dana and Janos are kind of like negotiating what's going to happen or whatever. So Dana decides, I'll play along. Right. That way I can get out of my cage and hopefully nab Oscar when the time is right. So she's smart. And she's just acting, you know, like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you destroy the world. Sure. You know, right. Just so she can get her baby back. So yeah, we cut to Statue essentially of the same thing that uh, Vicky Vale does in Batman. Like, oh, I love purple. Same year, same year, baby. Same Two summer, couple, separated by a couple weeks. Works every time. Uh, so yeah, we cut to the Statue of Liberty, and and uh, inside they decide they're going to spray. They're going to use the slime blowers. Now Winston and Ray both have slime blowers. They're going to spray the Statue of Liberty and rig it up with music and basically pilot it all the way to the museum. And because New Yorkers will be so fucking happy to see the Statue of Liberty. All and not positive, somehow not terrified. And, and, and I was going to say that too. Like, how are they not terrified when the last time a giant thing was a Safe Puff Marshmallow Man walking down the road? And I have a lot of questions, though, real quick about the logistics of <laughs> get, making... If you think the, about that, it's going to... The gonna, Statue of Liberty work. It's One, too much. Statue of Liberty is on that giant perch. Right. Like, it's not like she's on the ground. So how would you get her to step down? She doesn't have legs under there. I don't know if you realize, like... <laughs> It's just like a solid thing. So sure. it's like not like there are actual appendages under there. But it's animated. Two, and... how is it possible they'd have, A, enough slime to cover the entirety of the inside of this gigantic statue? Because in the, like, 30 seconds we see them sliming it, they slime pretty consistently, and it's not covering much like ground. a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. barely any of it. Uh, how do they have enough positively charged slime to do this? How do they have enough time? That would take all night. For just two of them to do well, it. Well, again, you don't know how long they were there for. True. And they, had, they had most of the days. Maybe they were there for hours. 
And finally, obviously the question on everybody's mind, how did they know that an NES Advantage controller <laughs> would be able to control it? They never, I mean, maybe there's deleted scenes where they did tests on how to control the toaster. I don't know. I, we, we buy into a lot of this stuff. We also sure. don't know how this laser can capture a ghost, so whatever. But Which, which again, another uh, timestamp is oh, the yeah. NES oh, controller, sure. the NES Advantage controller. Which I, of course, loved as a kid. I was like, because <gasps> yeah. back then, video games were not, a huge commonplace thing. It was more like a secret world that just children knew about. And sure. it's like, the Ghostbusters play Nintendo? Lewis Tully mentioned Super Mario Brothers? Oh my God. Right. So yeah, that's actually two mentions of Nintendo in the movie. Yeah. Originally, according to Harold Ramis, they weren't supposed to ride the Statue of Liberty. They were supposed to battle it. Vigo takes control of the Statue oh. of Liberty and they have to battle, much like the Up Arch. Oh, yeah. Which they may have actually cut this because it was too much like the first one. Yeah. But apparently they were supposed to fight the Statue of Liberty. Oh, that's kind of So cool, that would but... have been how they got into the museum, which I guess it maybe fell backwards into this. Yeah, thing, maybe something whatever. like that. But, um, so, yeah. So that was the original ending for uh, Ghostbusters 2 was them fighting Lady Liberty. Interesting. Not, not riding Lady Liberty. But anyway. Interesting. Uh, also, they, there's a deleted scene here about... <laughs> Ray and Vinkman arguing about which way to go, which is very New York thing. Very New. That's that very reminiscent of how LA people. But say much like I'm sure people love the SNL sketch, the Californians, where it's like yeah, the four or five to the two ten or whatever. I mean, there are there are definitely bones I have to pick with Los Angeles. Uh, the the convenience of their freeway system is not one of them. No man. There's a joke in the movie Clueless where Dan Hedaya, Cher's father, you know, Lisa Silverstone's father, says anywhere in the valley takes twenty minutes, and that is. Totally accurate, huh. because we do have a great freeway system. Yeah, we do. Well, <clears throat> not unless you want to get from one end of Sherman Way to the other, because that is <laughs> a hellscape that I don't want to get into. Sure, sure. One more question I have about the Statue of Liberty. When it does finally get submerged, how come the slime doesn't all wash out of it? Well, it's on the inside. I, we assume the, the lower half is completely airtight. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's probably not. It's probably but, not. No, no. But anyway, that was something that yesterday I was like, hey, wait a minute. But the point is... The Ghostbusters do make their way through New York. Everyone's super happy. Jackie Wilson's playing again. While it's happening, though, Lewis, because there's oh. the whole subplot that we we don't get. How could I forget about Lewis? Lewis suits up in one of Egon's flight suits. Janine helps him and uh, puts on a proton pack and decides to come out and help. But it's but, also but actually, it wasn't because Egon's very tall and broad, and Rick Moranis is very little and slim. So that that flight suit would have been way too big. He probably should have worn like Rays, um, but. You think about it, it's kind of that's an interesting sexual thing because Janine's kind of turned on by him wearing Egon's flight suit. Oh yeah, I just kind of had that thought. Oh um, man, yeah. So I, was that meant to be kind of a throwback Probably. to that? Maybe. Am I just? I did not pick that? up on that at all. But Again, yeah. my adult mind's like, oh, but wait a minute. He <laughs> and we get yet another shot, a, a composed shot where the doors open. There's yeah, a bright light yeah. behind him, silhouetting him in the. And he runs out, and we get a great Boy, reveal. Heavy. <laughs> yeah, so funny, yeah. so great. So you see him running around New York, and I guess he decides to take the bus. And Slimer <laughs> is driving the bus, and I like how he just goes for it. He's yeah, like, "Well, I hope you have your license." No, you had your license, or I didn't know you had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
so good. And not, I mean, and Slimer's not overdone, too. Th- yeah. th- this could have been a whole thing about the journey with Slimer as a bus driver. Yeah. But it's just, whatever, Slimer's it's just driving. It's a quick joke. He, he knows where to take Lewis. You know, yeah. This is for the kids who watch the cartoon. And I love the the sound Slimer makes when he's like, come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Lewis eventually ends up in front of the museum. Yeah. Uh, we'll cut back to him later, but he's there. Everyone's excited to see him there. I like that he's, uh, nobody's wearing him, but he's wearing earmuffs. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's cold out. It's it's cold or because the equipment might be loud like you don't really i, I think it's because it's cold because it's supposed to be you know yeah, December. I guess that does make sense but, um but i love also you get like the the heroic flourish of music where it's like i'm there with you guys and he pulls the the, the trino wand out and he's yeah. ready to shoot um but yeah so the statue of liberty finally does make it after crushing a cop car and, and people, it's a fucking miracle they didn't kill anybody. people cheering and yeah if, if you watch like the the long shot of it, it's like everyone is way too close to the feet of this yeah. thing. And I love that the Statue of Liberty head is like looking around. It's like, yeah, that, uh, that never made sense to me. Right, either. Right. But the whatever, you know, like, look what we're doing. It's, it's awesome. It's slime. We don't know how it works. So everyone's so happy to see the beloved icon, the Statue of Liberty appear and the shell clears in the top glass dome of the museum. And uh, the Statue of Liberty is about to come down and, and you know, smash the dome. And, uh, and uh, luckily uh, Dana had gotten out because she's able to grab Oscar Dana out of the way. Dana grabs Oscar and the falling glass and what have you. All the guys... Which interrupts the connection between Vigo because at this point Vigo's yeah, face was starting to superimpose over Oscar. Precisely, yeah. Like this, is, It's almost midnight as you hear, uh, I think, Egon say on the way there. And they repel down from the Statue of Liberty. And I was like, damn, like they had to have some balls to do that. Yeah. Um, they're not action heroes. You no. Know what I mean? I'm, not, I'm not saying them as actors, but I'm saying them as like people, as Ghostbusters. Yeah, as characters. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, wow, they repel off the Statue of Liberty. Well, I got to say this for them. They're pretty fearless. I mean, they oh, went sure. down to that subway alone. They went into a field that's completely unknown. Like we don't know what ghosts can even do to us. And, sure. and we're going to go in and trap them. So they're all brave dudes. Uh, what I love is Vinkman line when they land. Oh, of course. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Which while playing uh, the game uh, Rainbow Six Vegas, <laughs> uh, when you can repel in and surprise bad guys, you and I would be playing that and we'd always do that line oh, as we'd repel. John, I still play it and I still say it. Uh, so they get in and we get our sort of anticlimactic climax. Uh, with Vigo fighting him. They basically show up. Uh, Ray and Winston still have the, the slime blowers, which I will always say is way lamer than the proton packs. Now, I was going to say, like, you only have two. Like, as a kid, I was like, you only have two proton packs. What are you thinking, like, yeah. against the Vigo guy? But they shoot it with the slime, the positively charged slime. It makes sense because he is the slime, if and he is negativity, so if you positively charge it, the energy. It makes sense. They first neutralize uh, Janos. They, yeah. They hit him with the, the positively charged slime, and he basically just passes out. Yeah. So when Vigo materializes, this is the first time he's fully materialized from the painting. And they Which if you could do that all along, it's like, why the fuck didn't you just do that? Maybe it's the proximity to midnight or yeah, something. It might be like, yeah, the, his last ditch effort or whatever. Or yeah. because there's so much slime everywhere and now he's able to do it or something. Right. They try to hit him with the two proton pack streams and he like shrugs it off and hits him with some sort of energy wave. Yeah. Which you don't really... Get a lot of explanation about no, what that is. He's just powerful. So they're all kind of like in paralysis. Honestly, Zool did it too. Or yeah, Gozer. Well, Which one is it? Gozer or Well, she Zool? had like lightning fingertip powers. She had like Emperor Palpatine powers. Yeah. Um, is uh, Gozer. Uh, <laughs> John, please. Uh, anyway, so Vankman kind of lasts because he's because Vigo's going to get Oscar and complete. You know, it's almost midnight. It's still time. And uh, Venkman kind of hits him with that monologue about, you know, just trying to stall for time, basically. And he said something which I used to end every Universal Studio tour with whenever I did the studio tour back in the day. 
Uh, there's a toward the end of the studio tour. There's a great view of like Burbank and like Warner oh, Brothers and say I was about to say out in the, Southern California is beautiful San, San Fernando Valley. Valley, which we both live in the beautiful San we Fernando do, Valley. We do. Anytime I talk about the San Fernando Valley, that's the way I sure, say it. Sure, because we ever. San Fernando Valley. First time we ever heard of it, living in Georgia. Yeah. And then we actually live in it now. So when it's like, oh, like the first time I was in Encino, I thought about Encino Man. Or yeah, yeah. Reseda, I thought about Karate Kid. You know? Right. So yeah, so it failed, and now Vigo seemingly has won. He's got Oscar. The, the Ghostbusters are kind of down. They're all paralyzed. But randomly, I guess because it's almost uh, New Year's, uh, the people outside start singing. And they're just, it's happiness. And a everyone. song usually reserved for after. Right. Or it might midnight. be midnight, exactly. Right. So they're starting to sing, and it's neutralizing Vigo because it's positive energy. So yeah. they can move all of a sudden. Vigo starts freaking out and drops Oscar. Luckily, Peter grabs Oscar on the way down. Vigo's back in the painting. And, uh, like, really weird, monstrous-looking Vigo. It's not quite the humanoid right. Vigo. And uh, they're like, all right, let's finish this. And, you know, when Vigo knows he's about to be defeated, he looks at Ray and Ray locks eyes with Vigo. And they're like, all right, let's take care of this. And Ray's in the way. They're like, Ray, could you move, please? Why don't you shoot the monster? Ray, Ray, Ray. Ray. And Ray turns around and he's got Vigo's head. Yeah. He says, no, I, Ray, and Vigo shall rule the earth. Be gone, you pitiful halfman. And then they all kind of look at each other and Vigman just says, now. Yeah, like, they slime Ray. They slime, Winston slimes Ray. Uh, Egon and Peter shoot the painting. Ray kind of falls away, much the way Janos does early when he's sprayed by slime. So it's just a floating Vigo head and they're all zapping it. And the, I could just picture like the actor playing Vigo. They're probably just dousing him with like sludge. Oh yeah, sludge. they're spraying so him with that So it's just his head going, bruh, bruh. And he's got to yeah, like stop doing that. So eventually the head flies back of the painting and the painting explodes. Like the Death Star. <laughs> exactly, like the Death Star. And they check on Janos and they check on Red. Everyone's fine. They're they're in great moods, of course, because they've been doused with a uh, very positive positively charged, charged time. So they're like, I love you, man. I yeah. love you. So they're all they're all groovy and happy. Uh, they come uh, Winston notices the painting has changed from Vigo. And now it's the four of them and like this like kind of like Caesar-esque yeah, uh, yeah, like uh, like all togas and shit. <laughs> yeah, and they have the four. And... It's four of them with the baby. Yeah, the 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 the, the baby, <laughs> the, the baby. baby. And I remember my friend Dan, who took me to ILM, said he was like, "Yeah, that painting from the end is somewhere around here. We never found it, but I really regretted that that I never got to see the final painting. So I love that painting. I think it's super fun. I want a painting of that <clears throat> right next to my Vigo painting." Uh, in my house, even though mm-mm, can't have Vigo, he's going to possess me. <laughs> he's scary. Also, uh, during the final battle with Vigo, when they're shooting him, uh, also Lewis Tully's on the outside. His proton pack goes off, so he's he's battling the shell outside. He probably does nothing ultimately. No, he doesn't. But all the New Yorkers think he's awesome. And yeah, because the shell disappears as he's shooting it. But it's just kind of cool. It's something yeah. to give Lewis, I it, guess. Yeah, he didn't do anything, but it gave him a hero moment because he did have the bravery to pick up the pack and, right, right. and do it. And we would assume that if there was a Ghostbusters 3, Lewis would have been a full-time Ghostbuster, I hope. Sure. Which would have just gotten more Rick Moranis. That wouldn't have been a bad thing. Dana finally quit the stupid symphony, pick up a proton pack herself. It'd be a six-person <laughs> team. That would Might be awesome. Might as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, really and truly, like, I know the equipment's expensive probably to produce, but, like, why don't you guys franchise? Why don't you have, like, a... Ghostbusters East Side and West Side 
and like you know that, that was always the plan you can tell was the idea like eventually it was a franchise that right. was like you know by coastal or whatever and, and the video game even ends with like franchising you know call us about franchising opportunities you can tell that was always the ultimate goal, right right which makes sense there would yeah. be ghosts all over the place so that's it we got that uh, another montage at the end here of the credits there's the liberty island celebration i guess they return the statue of liberty yeah which if you watch it after the statue of liberty breaks into the museum when it cuts outside it's laying down on its back in the street somehow so i guess it just fell over yeah i know <laughs> even though it's like sort of just like hanging like yeah. over that uh, it should have just been hanging there the whole time yeah, but, but i guess when the slime shell disappeared it wouldn't yeah. have made sense that it was still there yeah i, I don't know but uh, hopefully it didn't kill anybody i hope they were i mean obviously they were able to get it to stand back up and walk back through the street and sure over through the bay again i, I, I don't know that was probably complicated you can need like a power pad for that or something, or you know, a power glove uh, for that. But uh, yeah, they get the the key to the city this time. So really and truly, I mean, other than wanting to see these characters again, there is no reason for a third movie. I mean, I would have again them talking about what kind of pizza to get would have been fine. With sure, a movie no, of that. I don't disagree with that, that at all. Sure. Uh, I love this movie. So yeah, I mean, this movie was fantastic. It obviously ends with our third and final Ghostbusters theme song, the Spirit song by Dougie Fresh, yeah. uh, which I just thought was a, a generic song about ghosts. And then I was like, oh, nope, the name dropping the Ghostbusters. Oh, so, sure. so this movie may have grossed less than half of what the original did at the box office. It may not have been quite as loved as the former, but I do think time has been kind to this movie in terms of public perception. I think it's what you said now. It's like Scott watching the movies back-to-back now. People just experience them together as like a one-two punch rather than the expectation and the weight of the huge success of the original being on the sequel. Mm -hmm. They're just two parts of the same whole. And uh, for that, I think it's great. I think it's good that people are experiencing this movie and loving it as much as we did from the jump because we're the OG GB2 lovers. But this movie's fucking fantastic. The, the result, when there was also very quickly the, the school of thought that we did see two before we saw one. But at the same time, I acknowledge one is a much better movie. Yeah, no. And, and, and it's my favorite movie of the two. Yeah, of so course. So I guess that, that kind of disqualifies that. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, one is far superior in every way, pretty much, except for maybe visual effects. But even so, visual effects in the first one are great, especially if you can watch it on DVD where it's not quite up to today's standards. But this movie's great. It's just more of what we love about these characters, more of what we love about this world, technology. I do wish they would have built out even more of the technology. We do get the slime blowers, but again, I kind of always found those a little bit lame. Because uh, I'd rather right. just have that fucking proton pack, man. A laser gun. Well, it's, it's, you can't beat the proton pack is no. the thing. It's something that got right the first time. Yeah. So when I think of the slime blower, I think of the Ghostbusters 2 NES game, which was horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think of that too. Where you're stuck you, using the slime blower for the most part. And they do not let you use a proton pack. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, boo. And didn't even the, the car even shot slime or something, right? Yeah, And the did. car driving levels? Yeah. Lame. Uh, so when the video game when the video game came out and you had a fucking proton pack, I was like, yes, do you, do you, finally. Okay, so in the uh, Xbox game, you mean? Did you use the yeah, slime yeah. blower in the Xbox at all? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You, you, well, your your proton pack is modified, so it has four settings. It, uh, it can blow slime also. Oh, cool. So yeah, Ghostbusters video game is part three to me. Again, uh, it ties together uh, like. Uh, it's Evo Shandor, which is the creator of Dana Barrett's apartment. You mm-hmm. find out that like the museum where Vigo is, the apartment where Dana lived, 
the library where the librarian is, the Sedgwick Hotel, they're all nodes. Oh. They're all buildings created by Evo Shandor, who was an architect. He was a... Right. Know. So, like, and it all ties together. It all makes sense. Wow. Like, oh, That's man, cool. So good. So good. That um, would have been great. That would have been a great uh, threequel. So if we you ever it. thought, where would you go from here? That's where they would have gone from there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, it, it I, was well done, actually. I know Dan Aykroyd always talked about wanting to do, like, a hell version of New York, and they scoffed at the budget. It was supposed to be, like, $150 million. That was a rumor, like, Ghostbusters go to hell yeah. was going to be a movie for a long time which could have been cool i don't i you know i'm sure that would have been very expensive and it's hard for me to visualize because the series otherwise is so grounded but right. uh i would have been into that i think that would have been really cool obviously nowadays like 150 million dollars they spent that on the ghostbusters reboot which like where did that money go honestly reshoots uh, i mean yeah <laughs> uh visual effects dance sequences apparently they got cut from the film but that's a film that I'm not a huge fan of. I just think that at the end of the day, it doesn't work as well as a comedy. It's a Paul Feig style of improv comedy, and I think maybe just today's style of more improv-based comedy uh, just doesn't work for Ghostbusters. you got to get the characters really well-defined, like the straightening a slinky joke. you got to get that stuff really precise and finely tuned, or else it's not going to work. Otherwise, you just get actors who are really good and charming just kind of doing their own thing, and that's not the character's that we're expecting had it been four male actors in those same roles in the same situation, it would have been just, it would have been just as bad. The Uh, the thing is, I mean, Paul Feig made a Paul Feig movie. Yeah. He didn't make a Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. The same way Shane Black made a Shane Black movie. He didn't make an Iron Man three movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, that's, that's the thing to me. And then that's what I always go to. And I'm really interested in this Ghostbusters reboot, the 2020 reboot that's coming out from Jason Reitman. One, him picking up the baton from his father. What's funny to me is that Sony has already rolled on their women's Ghostbuster yeah. movies. They basically don't acknowledge them, don't acknowledge it and say it doesn't exist. And say like, well, the Ghostbusters, oh, you mean with Bill Murray? And uh, yeah. like they totally were like, well, that wasn't successful. Well, that didn't happen. So right. anyway, like it's like, oh, that's unfair. I know. Because there were fans of that movie. And that's so unfair. Yeah, I know. And already rebooting it to another a whole nother thing is like oh man but people some people did like the women Ghostbusters yeah yeah uh, so Lauren like, who was on the show uh, for the final oh, part of Twilight fact, she, she was a movie. huge fan of that movie and that's great and, and Holtzman uh, played by uh, Kate McKinnon right was a really and uh, was a really potentially iconic character I think Leslie Jones was really great in that movie honestly Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig two actresses who I adore uh, just didn't do it for me in that movie both of them are really great at what they do but I think they both they kind of gave them the same character notes which yeah. was how about you're both just subdued and they it didn't work for either one occupied the same space exactly. in the movie you it was are like, the same person basically. it's like Ray and Ray right uh, but without Ray's uh, weirdness, without his eccentricity. I, I thought with Holtzman, they actually took it in a different direction where she is scientific, but she's she's kind of a mix of Egon and Ray. Yeah, exactly. she's kind of into the occult aspect of it. Yeah. And she is scientific, which I liked. I thought yeah. that was a different way to take it. I thought it. she was cool. And I really thought Leslie Jones as uh, Patty Tolan. I think that's her name. I can't remember the uh, <laughs> Melissa McCarthy or Kristen Wiig's name. But anyway, Patty was a fun character just because she was that... Uh, Winston, the every woman woman. uh, who was like, holy shit, this is all real? Are you fucking kidding me? That was really fun. But yeah, I think it just missed the mark as a comedy. I think today's, like I said, today's sensibilities don't work. But we're going to see how this new Ghostbusters is. The trailer they released, which is basically just a shot of a barn uh, with the Ecto-1 inside it, is a little too serious for my liking. Hashtag not my Ghostbusters folks. I mean, I'm curious. It's got Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things and the It movies. He's a good actor. He looks like he would be a little shit, but 
that aside, uh, he is a good actor. And McKenna Grace, who's a young actress who's phenomenal, who was in the movie uh, Gifted with Chris Evans. She was recently in Annabelle Comes Home. Great actress. So I'm really curious how, what those two kids will bring to it. Paul Rudd's maybe playing their dad. He's awesome. The problem is you're making it a Stranger Things movie. It's like uh, it's like when they re-release or they remade Point Break, and it was uh, they try to make a Fast and the Furious movie, yeah. which is a Point Break, which remake, was already yeah minus surfing, yeah. Uh, which I thought was hilarious. Anyway, who knows? We'll reserve judgment for when we actually see it. But yeah. Ghostbusters 2 has got a bad rep. I quite enjoy it. If you love that world, those characters, it's just more of it. If you just want to see those four guys and Dana and Louis Tully and you know Janine, yeah. it's more of that. So I enjoy it. But what did you folks think? Is Ghostbusters 2 the scourge of Carpathia? The sorrow of Moldavia? Or does it lift you higher and higher? Let us know. How can you let us know? First of all, you can go to facebook.com backslash HWIG podcast. You can leave us a review. You can leave us a suggestion. We love listener suggestions, so keep them coming. Uh, You can go to Twitter or Instagram, HWIG podcast, or you can always go to iTunes or Apple podcasts and leave us a nice review, preferably a a high-starred review. Because that makes us feel real good. But Perry, where can we find you? If you're looking for the whole ref and show, uh, you can find us on iTunes, of course, where we have one, I think at this point, and don't don't go give me one stars because I said we only have one. We have one one-star review. I'm pretty sure it's a friend of mine who was had like the review thing in his hand and said, I'm going to give you guys a one star and like joked about it. But I think he accidentally hit the button to submit the one-star review. <laughs> great. I was like, oh, great. Way to go. Uh, no, but find us on iTunes, uh, The Whole Reference Show. Find us on Facebook at the same name. Uh, you can find us on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, Twitter. I believe we are at Reference Show uh, Podcast. Uh, that's Whole Reference Show. And that's T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W. Correct, correct. A lot of people have a problem with the, the reffin part. And yeah. I, I understand that. But um, I can understand I, that, too. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a lot of fun. I hope uh, all your listeners will tune in for part two. <laughs> yeah. discussion where we just talk about nothing but lewis tully for, oh for four more hours i would love to do that i mean i would too if I've, we could do a whole podcast on rick moranis's career i'd be absolutely okay with oh that oh my goodness that would be great uh but yes definitely check out the whole ref and show their twitter their instagram they post a lot of fun stuff and even if you don't watch wrestling or you don't listen to wrestling podcasts these guys talk about so much more than just wrestling as you can tell uh perry here and Darren from the last episode, these guys like to talk. They're funny guys. They're good guys. They have a lot to say. So go check them out. You will not regret it. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. And you guys keep it here for next time. Until then, I am John Bring. And I am Perry Smith. And here's why it's great. Ready to go. We be fast and they be slow.